California is in the lead, can show the rest of the nation how it is done. We are now entering the home stretch ahead of the midterm election. Vermont's political analysts have said a red wave is coming. A referendum on inflation, illegal immigration, indoctrination. How are Democrats mitigating that red wave? It's why people don't trust people like you because you peddle false narratives. And so we disabuse you of those narratives. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Oh, man. Well, sit back, relax, and enjoy the season. It is Ruthless Variety Program. We're in the thrux of the fall campaign with a new intro, Michael. New intro, and everybody is back in studio. Shut up, Duncan. That intro is so hot. Fire. So hot. And the boys are back in town. Oh, we're this so excited. This is going to be an excellent episode. It's going to be an excellent episode. we got a lot of great content for you. we got multiple interviews. Yeah. We've got uh, an incredible amount of stuff. While we were gone, and mm-hmm. you guys did an ad- a very admirable job. Oh, thank you. Filling in. I listened. It was very entertaining. Good. Appreciated it. Yeah. Um, but I feel like the people now, they need to get up to speed on everything. Well, the people deserve it. We need to, we need to get like a full, all the hand-wringing and crybaby bullshit mm-hmm. that we've been watching. And then like Biden is in insanity with the like, whatever that speech was with the red backdrop. Like we're going to go through this all This is going to be stuff. so amazing. It's going to be pure rocket fuel. And again, I, you know, I want to reiterate, I am so grateful. We've got such a deep bench here. You know, so we had Ashbrook come up off the bench. We gave him the microphone. <laughs> they did okay. <laughs> you gotta have a deep, deep deepest team. bench in the game. You dude. gotta have a deep team. Now we got Smug back, so we'll be able to tweet again. There yeah. we go. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Hitting on all cylinders. So we've got two guests today. The first is General Don Bulldog, and he is a New Hampshire Senate candidate. That primary is next Tuesday, so we got him in just in the lick of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had a great interview with him. There's a lot of good information. Chuck Schumer is running ads basically on his behalf. And I asked which him Which is wild. I lo- I'm so looking forward to that. I interview. asked him about it, right? Which is not the most comfortable question, but he had a great answer. So you got to stick around for that. We have Victoria Coates, who is a na- deputy national security advisor under the Trump administration. She also worked in the Department of Energy. If you're looking to get smart, this is your lady. And, and also, like the perfect timing for this i love having like a subject matter expert totally when like you're gonna have cnn and MS, msnbc being like oh my god you know this is like a nuclear secret i want to hear from somebody from the like trump's nsa person yeah i want to know exactly what's going on and this person had answers i mean victoria is so smart for so many reasons but we again we, i asked her about the documents mm-hmm. i want to know about i want to know about the trump mar-a-lago documents what's her take on all that you'll get all that more from her we're sponsored today by the Common Sense Leadership Fund, and Kevin McLaughlin, our old pal, rolls in. Give us a little update on those internet bills he's been tracking. Great stuff there. You got to pay attention. Got to pay attention. He's just a great, he's a fun time. He's a fun time. <laughs> he's a really fun time. We have all of that, and we're playing King of the Hill. Yeah. We're, yeah. Gonna, we're just letting folks know right off the bat. It's like, the, it's like Babe Ruth again, pointing. <laughs> That's what this episode is. Let's go. All right, so let's start with a failed state of California because we started, our, our intro was Jennifer Granholm, right. who is like the worst. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's the worst. She's the uh, Department of Energy Secretary. She, she might as well be, well, I don't know. I don't know how to characterize what she is, but she's just dumber than a box of rocks. Yeah. And what she's saying, basically, California leading the way on their energy energy agenda. And they definitely are. <laughs> well, let's check in on that. <laughs> let's check in on that. Let's see how it's going. 
uh, tens of thousands of Californians without power despite state narrowly avoiding rolling outages. This is according to KCRA, a local uh, affiliate out there. Um, fellas, you've been following this? Yes. Yes. Yeah, Shoyden Fred. It really is. That's what it right? is. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, there is so much to this. And I think this story is very important, especially right now, because, like we discussed, there's all this, like, hang, hand wringing on the on the conservative side, being like, oh, is, is, is the red wave gone? Of course not. We are seeing in front of our eyes what happens when Democrats are given any power whatsoever. It's a failed state. You have California top to bottom being run by Dems. And what have they done with it? Okay, folks. You know, around 4 p.m. Don't right. be surprised if you have no power. I mean, like, holy shit! Genuinely like, amazing stuff. <laughs> that that's like stunning. So like, so bi- this bi- is America. I, How does that happen? Quick shout out to Bill from California, huge uh, listener to the Variety yeah. program. What he always says is, "You gotta watch California because where California is is where the rest of America will be in 10 years." That's the truth, and it's the truth. Number one, I mean, the sad truth. But like the Biden administration has given us a you know a little peek into the that future with everything they've been doing. Well, recently. They, say, they say the quiet part out loud is right. evidenced by Jennifer Granholm at right. the top of the program. The right. head of the Department of Energy under Joe Biden has said, "I want to do to America what Gavin Newsom has done to California." Right. That's a huge cause of concern, and I think yet again every single person on the right needs to focus on that, take it in, and realize. It's becoming abundantly clear what happens when Democrats have any power. And that's why the red wave is 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 live and kicking, going to be more impressive than anyone could imagine. We're seeing right now in front of our eyes Democrat policies in every single way. Everything's more expensive. Your gas is more expensive. Your groceries are more expensive. And now you can't even keep the lights on. Right. If you could afford to, now they're still going to cut them off. You know, there are a lot of funny videos out there about this California situation. People are posting things just to keep their humor during a difficult time. One of the funniest, and Duncan and I were talking about that this morning, one of the funniest is this $115,000 Tesla being <laughs> charged by a gas generator. Right. It's literally the <laughs> Tesla the is plugged into ever. a gas generator that somebody bought at Home Depot, and there's like a there's like a tank of gas sitting right next to it. It's just one of it, the funniest and things. And we, we, we asked Victoria Coates about that during we the did. segment, so it's little teaser there for you but you know it's it's great because it it it's villa it, it it illustrates the disconnect that exists in far left environmental policy yeah where the fuck do they think energy comes from yeah yeah they think it comes from a plug in the wall <laughs> not a not a coal-fired you know power plant mm-hmm. or from fracking or from you know the oil and gas industry writ large they think it's just you know unicorn farts on the other side <laughs> of that outlet and so to see that photo and have them have to come face to face with the reality of how energy is produced in it's this a perfect country, encapsulation it's fantastic you love to well, see well it. you see it's kind of problematic what you said because because a unicorn fart would have methane. That's right. And as we all know, <laughs> man, that shit. Cows yeah. farting can change the weather. <laughs> trust, <laughs> trust, trust, trust. I think we have catalytic converters strapped on the back That's of right. cows' asses across the Midwest right now, yeah. thanks to that last bill these assholes passed. Um, so, just a couple of notes about this deal. Uh, it's a stage three energy alert. It's highest alert before ordering actual blackouts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is only issued when demand for energy is expected to outpace actual supply. The agency that's in charge of all this nonsense cited consumer saving energy as a big part of avoiding outages. So here's the important part if you don't live in California. The state itself has made this plea Mm -hmm. to the people who live there to turn 
like basically up your like make sure that you've got 80 degrees inside your house and and, and that's another thing is i don't know if i'm alone on this what's the ideal temperature what do you keep your house 68 yeah Yeah, 68 so i think it's 68 yeah and and newsom's like hey hey set your house to 78 it's like i'm not trying to catch a tan in my house dude like (laughs) 78 And, and here's the thing is like i think it really takes the facade off the dems where all day long they try to act like they're out there for like the working man and the folks who are trampled upon who do you think in california is going to suffer because of this because i guarantee if you go to the hollywood hills if you go to beverly hills which is basically the beating heart of the democratic party right none of those folks are going to have their power cut you know who's going to have their power cut senior citizens yeah people yeah those are the folks who are going to be sitting sweltering in 80 degrees or higher because they're having record heat waves right now. Well, in that's it, and that's what they that's what they say. But but here, this is where I have absolutely no sympathy from anybody in the government of California. Is that they're like, oh, we're getting record heat waves. Listen, pal, it's the last week of August, first week of September. That shit's going to happen. Right, figure it out. Figure it out. They they like to act that you know they can destroy the American energy economy and try to remake it as this green new deal and pretend like there's not going to be suffering across the country as a result i mean that's the thing right it's a hundred percent that and 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 it goes way beyond california in the sense that we've seen dems right now with control of the house the senate and the white house what have they done with it they've passed this backdoor green new deal because they want every american in this country to be like driving an electric car and be dependent on when government says you can charge your car when the government says you can have your air on when the government says you can live your life they 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 yearn for having that level of control. It's just amazing. You have to be such a backassword individual to think that's a good idea. I hope I hope Joe Manchin looks forward to this coming to West Virginia. I'm sure oh, those coal I'm miners sure will those, really appreciate I'm it. I'm sure they're going to love it. Here's a nice back to back headline. This is from Fox Biz. Biden's energy secretary says she supports California's gas vehicle ban. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is for the New York Post. That uh, is the date on that is is so great. It's September fifth, twenty twenty two. Yeah, here, here's September one. Californians asked uh, to not charge their electric cars days after <laughs> gas <Yeah>. ban announcement. <laughs> That's a tough look. Yeah, well, but it all goes to this thing that we've been talking about all along, which is the base of the Democratic Party today is not the working men and women across this country, not the people that have to drive to work, not anybody who has like any sort of manual labor or or is in in sales or in retail or in the restaurant hospitality what they're in is a bunch of assholes sitting behind their desk mm-hmm. pushing paper from now from their their like office that they've built in their homes mm-hmm. right in their luxury homes where they don't have to have any contact with the outside world and so yeah. the idea of not having to charge your car today is not particularly bad Look, that's bad fine thing. you know the uber eats guy is going to bring the food to me yeah 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 i'll it, be on zoom it's <laughs> no no. What do I care? I don't need to drive. It's but, fine. The chauffeur can take the day off. And they don't even have to. What galls me most about this is that you can have this conversation that we're having right now, and Democrats don't have to defend their position. No. They never They never have to defend their position. The press will never ask them to defend it. How do you defend a position that eliminates fossil fuels in this country, eliminates gas-powered cars in this country, makes our cars reliant on batteries from China mm-hmm. and then tell them, tell people you can't actually drive those cars because you can't plug them in until we tell you to. And this is this is why I think the dates were so key is on September 5th 
you know, Biden's energy secretary, Jenny Granholm, says, yeah, I support, you know, uh, a, a gas vehicle ban in California. When on September 1st, Californians are being asked not to charge their cars in the face of disaster. They still don't get they it. They still don't get it. But and they still don't care. That's you, what happens when Dems have power. When you pay attention to this leftist ideology, it does not stop with cars. It goes directly into your homes. And if you, I don't know if you guys saw the story today of what they're thinking about doing in Switzerland. The government is going to put people in jail if their thermostat reads too high this winter when it's cold. Jeez. Oh, my gosh. I'm not kidding you. This, this is the direction they want to head. And Smug's favorite Dem billionaire who funds so Hans much. Swiss, yeah. Swiss. That this this guy, I mean, this is the this is the problem. Is right now you have billionaires, corporations, and Dems and college professors coming up with this <laughs> garbage bullshit woke ideology because they've never worked a real job in their lives. They've never worked a hard day's work. They don't understand that some people have commutes. They they can't have a day that like, well, don't charge your electric car today, folks, and 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 sit at home and just get cooked inside your own house. And make no mistake about this stuff because it might sound pretty esoteric for those of you who are living in the Midwest or the South, and you're like, Jesus, people in California are crazy. This is coming. That's it. This is what these people will do when they have if, the House, the Senate, and the White House. If you don't get out and figure out how to win these elections, I don't mm -hmm. care if you feel good, you feel bad, you don't. You're not particularly enthused about your candidates or you're super enthused about your candidates. If you don't work and try to get your family out to vote, this is coming. Right. And it's coming to your neighborhood and there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it. Because as evidenced by that student loan situation a few weeks ago, yeah, they don't care. if they can't pass it from legislative standpoint, they're going to just jam it down your throat anyway. Mm -hmm. Right. Right? And it's, it's literally coming. Like, this is not a hyperbolic, sort of genuine up, try to you know, make you feel irrationally angry. I'm telling you, because I've been doing this a long time, that is coming. If, if you don't believe us, think about just two years ago what they did with COVID. When they forced all of these businesses to shut down, they forced everybody out of school and they forced everybody into their houses. If they can do that over the pandemic, they can do anything, especially yeah, on energy. Totally. Um, with that, let's go to CSLF. Let's go to Kevin McLaughlin. Want to welcome back to the program a good friend. I feel like we've had him on a little bit too much, <laughs> frankly. That's not true. But he's the head honcho over at Common Sense Leadership Fund, and he's, he keeps us updated on some serious issues, which I appreciate. And he has a great radio voice. Thank you. And I'm also a policy expert, as, I, as it turns out. That's why I'm here. Because you guys, you do the politics. I do the policy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Listen, we've had an extraordinarily, like, this show is a serious show. It is a serious a program. Serious and we talk about serious <laughs> I issues. I talk about, I tell people. And the then, goddammit, we have to have people like you on and ruin it. Our whole reputation. You know, I just want to tell you guys a quick story. Everyone's back to school right now, and I just thought about this, and I want to tell you, like, what it's like to be Kevin McLaughlin. Yesterday was my daughter's first day at school. Yeah. I'm sitting in my office at about 4 o'clock, and I get a phone call from a number I don't know. So I don't answer it, of course. No, you're a screener anyway. Yes, yes. And then I, I get another call 10 minutes later from the same number, and I answer it. It's my daughter's school. I was supposed to pick her up a half hour. <laughs> oh, no way. <laughs> First day of school. First day? First day of school. You abandoned ship. I'm so my focused on, on the mission. 
of defeating these terrible pieces of legislation. I forgot to pick up my lovely daughter on the first day of third grade. Uh, you, sir, are a deadbeat dad. I'm a terrible father. I'm a terrible father. But I'm a, an excellent issue advocate. Yeah, there you are. I advocate very hard for issues. Smug, you know this. You've Absolutely. talked about it before. Policy expert. Listen, I come with a success story for you guys in the Minions. Oh, I love I don't do remember that. the last time I was on. It's been too long, I think. But, like, obviously, you feel I mean, differently. Uh, but we're talking about these uh, these internet bills, you know, these yeah, internet no, no. safety bills. You got the you got the American Innovation and Choice Online Act and the Open App Markets Act. Okay. Yeah, and we've been okay. advocating against these quite hard. Uh, you have. Because yeah. we're a little concerned. But I came to you guys for help. You did. And particularly the minions. Yeah. And I said, this is going to hurt you guys. They're going to come after you. Yep. We've had some progress. Is that right? We've had some progress. Well, we aim to serve. Now, listen, we can't let our foot off the gas. No. Well, this is so, I was reading about this this morning. I'm glad that you brought this up. I was reading about this this morning. Uh, the advocates for these nonsense bills mm-hmm. still have hope. They feel they like they're still going to get this done. So now, listen. The the, the, the give bill. us a quick give you, can you quick reminder of why it is that we give a shit. So yes, exactly. Because these bills, what they they have them under the guise of internet safety. Yep. You know, I, everyone, I remember it was that's the phrase they hide all the crazy nonsense under. Right. Exactly. Like, oh, it's safety. Because <laughs> Smug said something. They can't let you speak on the internet because that's safety. You are terribly safe. offensive. I've been yes. to your Twitter yes. account and yeah. I've looked at your timeline. It's very unsafe. It's unsafe account. Very Smug unsafe. would be a target of this. Oh. Right. <laughs> Smug would be gone. Oh, no doubt. But so. All, our whole bottom line here is we don't have a problem with bringing in big tech. You know that. I don't have an issue with that at all. What I'm concerned about is us having liberal bills that claim to be, they're, they're Trojan horses right. for coming after conservatives. You and, know? They use, and this is what Democrats extort. Correct. Right? I mean, this is, the, so there's like this commonality of things that people would like to fix. But in order for these Democrats to do it, they have to actually do what they came for, they have which to is have to try to censor conservatives. Correct. They have to have this stuff in there about safety. Yeah. You know, and like that's a very broad term. Like when someone says something, uh, it makes me feel unsafe. Well, then you're banned. It's over. That's you know? just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And so, listen, Schumer, like, so the bill, there was a, there was a story, I don't know, two weeks ago or something like that in, in Bloomberg that said that the bill's dead. These bills are dead. They're, they're not going to happen this legislative uh, session. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing by your presence here today that that is not, in fact, the case. Well, I don't know if you guys have ever caught on to this, but I don't think you can trust Democrats. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Particularly Chuck Schumer. Now, Chuck Schumer. You mean the kinds that, that, that say things are dead and then they make deals and then all of a sudden they get alive again? I mean, I mean, just like that last bill they passed, the old switcheroo where they're like, right. oh, no, it's dead. Way to keep up, Smug. Yeah. That's impressive. <laughs> Man. It's nice to not wow. be. Wow. All right, y'all got this. It's nice to be not, be not the only policy expert here, Smug. I appreciate that. Right? <laughs> Yet again, I'm being attacked for presenting ideas. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so at any rate, they, they've said it's dead, but like, Listen, Amy Klobuchar is out there saying the bill is that this we're going to get a vote on this. He, she was promised a vote this session by Chuck Schumer. So either they're lying to Bloomberg or they're lying to Amy Klobuchar. Which one do you think it is? For yeah, Chuck I don't Schumer? think that. Yeah. Right? I, I, uh, and to your point too, like here's the other recent evidence about this: this whole the permitting thing that's going to be in the CR for Joe Manchin that he like did the yeah. uh, the deal for. Like. Th- Libs are out there touting this permitting bill as it's going to be good for the green for for green jobs. Yeah, they just make shit up. They just make it up. Are you serious? Yeah. Yes. And so, like the deal that was cut on that that deal on oil permitting, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's now it's going to help. It's going to help the greenies. It's an environmental provision. So now, not not surprisingly, what you've come to the conclusion of is they may not they maybe uh, take liberties with the truth. They 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 from time to time they stretch it a little bit. Yeah. And so what I'm here for is to say thank you. Yeah. I appreciate you guys. I well, appreciate don't thank the us, minions. Thank the people. The minions have done it, and I need them to not butt their foot off the gas. Here. That's yeah. one thing they do very well. Yes, they are. They are. They're extremely good at that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're like they're like a three year old. They <laughs> well, just are in your ear all the time, just like dad, 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 dad. That's the that's right. Good. That's the right thing. You it's gotta awesome. be. I mean, you look have at, to be in this environment. There is no like taking a breath. None. Right. None. I mean, it, it's got to be just pushing, pushing, and pushing. That's it. Hard yeah. as you can. Yep. So all right. So we need to get, we need to strip a couple more votes off this thing. Yeah. Now listen, we've heard. So I, the, the good news here too is, is we hear a couple of our Republican allies who are co sponsors on this. Mm-hmm. Are trying to kind of find their way off it. Good, Ooh, nice. So Good. work the Republicans. Yep. on the Judiciary Committee in the United States Senate, and uh, just keep at it. I mean, you guys are the best. So I mean, that's all and, we and can ask for. To me, that's the thing. What always you know it came down to for this bill is like I would have a lot more faith if it's Republicans with a majority, in, you know, in the driver's seat. Totally, because yep. we're not going to just cut our own people out of. Like being able to voice themselves online, totally. which is what this whole safety thing is about. It's just, I mean, you know, we now have the president of the United States being like, if you don't disagree with me, you're an extremist. Right. Right. So for safety, oh, of right, course. They just got... tried to set up that disinformation board with that Nina Jankowicz. That's it. It's yeah. like they have shown us who they are. Why would you work with them on something that could be so detrimental to our cause and our movement? This safety bullshit's got to go. Yes. And also, like, maybe this is a little crass, but. Oh dear! Let's just not give them anything anymore. <laughs> Thank right. you. Like nothing. They get nothing. They get nothing. Nothing. Like these guys have been so dishonest. They're so terrible for our country. Every single I mean, look at the economy. Yep. Look at the economy. It's September. Don't pass anything. They just don't pass anything. I, I I'm I'm with you on that. But particularly stupid stuff like this, which is actually you have to be pretty thoughtful about putting together something that deals with anything that's this complicated. And if you look in under the hood, as you guys have done, the reason it's so complicated is because they're trying to do this shit. It's on purpose. It's on purpose. Yeah, and they want to make you feel good. The Inflation Reduction Act. I mean, what a dumb... Uh, it's just... <laughs> I, I can't... Like, I literally can't. I mean, it's just not true. They're just like, what should we call this to get it passed? Yeah. Right. And that's what they're doing. So... Amazing. We appreciate you guys. Keep up the work. It is the uh, American Innovation and Choice Online Act and the Open App Markets Act. Hammer on these uh, on our friends very gently, of course, uh, our Republican friends. We love them very much. But just make sure they know that, like, we're not digging it, but we're cool with going after big tech. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so where do they keep up with you on your website? They and keep over there on the uh, cslf.us because I love America. There you go. Yeah. And you couldn't get the real domain. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's <was> too expensive. <laughs> do you guys validate? <laughs> 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 Kevin McLaughlin, Thank ladies you, and everyone. gentlemen. I appreciate Thank you very you. much. You know, as much as I say, he, I actually enjoy having him on the show. <laughs> yeah. well, he did kind of attack our listeners a little bit there. Did he? I thought he gave him a compliment. Well, he called them three-year-olds. But it was, it was a compliment. It was a backhanded compliment. It was supposed to be a compliment. He's yeah. not very articulate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but great radio voice. He does have a great, and he's pretty funny. Uh, I, I wish his daughter well on future trips to school. Yeah. It sounded like that was a bigger problem. Boy, than oh, else boy. Going on. He's going to have to dig out of that one. No kidding. That's a tough deal. Um all right, so before we get into this next story, uh, 
this is related to power and energy. Mm-hmm. And before we get into it, I think you got to hear from Victoria Coates. We should go right into that. Let's do we it. We should go right into it. I want to welcome to the program a really smart lady. Uh, and if you're interested in knowing about a wide range of issues, you better listen up because she knows what she's talking about. She's currently a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation. You may remember her name. She was Deputy National Security Advisor uh, under the Trump administration. Also moved over to the Department of Energy late in the administration. Victoria Coates, welcome. Thank you, fellas, for having me on. Listen, it's a good time to have you on because there's a bunch of complicated issues out there that, you know, frankly... I'm not sure that this assembled group has the uh, firepower to tackle on our own, <laughs> shall we say? But I know you do, um, and I know you're doing a lot of stuff in, with energy uh, at Heritage. Let's just start there, right? I mean, we're all acquainted with the incredible incompetence of this administration and how they prioritize domestic energy production, how that's affected everything from gas prices to, I assume, you know, winter heating and everything. Uh, and then becoming more reliant on the Middle East, which you have, you know, a lot of exposure and, and, and interest. And I think you even lived in Saudi Arabia at one point. Um, so just give it's us not for t- the faint of heart. Yeah, give, 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 <laughs> yeah, give us our, your take on all this. Well, at first, you have to start with the Italian Renaissance art history PhD. Okay. That's oh. the critical thing. <laughs> I missed that. If you don't have that, you can't really get into energy policy <laughs> yeah, that's important <laughs> so are you I, gonna get 10 grand off on that deal <laughs> at least but no I, it was interesting because i i know you guys have been a little bit harsh on the art historians in terms of majors we have been a touch did you feel seen on that deal I, you know it's a little bit like the italians uh <laughs> yeah you know, you we've feel, had a lot for them too you feel persecuted um but you know it's it was just a quick point i wanted to make because art history is basically history with uh pictures and one of the first gifts i brought y'all was my book oh which is a history of democracy and 10 works of art and wow the wow. premise of it is that if you want to know about ancient athens you can read Thucydides. I strongly encourage you to do so. But if you read Thucydides and you look at the Parthenon, you're going to have a better sense of what it was. So this and is, this is how you know you're dealing with a smart person. Smart person, right? And I you mean, notice how I, I led with the book plug. Yeah, well, yeah. now I appreciate you admire that. Listen, it's a well-formulated, formidable book too. I mean, this thing's got Roger Campbell, it. Encounter Books. God bless him. But uh, so anyway, you do start with an art historian, but where we are with energy is is energy is the universal currency right now you can't do anything if you can't make something run it's mm-hmm. in a way it's it's food uh you you're, you're going to break down people are going to die if you don't have sufficient electricity and what is less well understood is how you produce electricity there are plugs all around us right right <laughs> Does it yeah, come, I mean, I'm from Philadelphia. Does it come from the sky? Do you hold up a key? <laughs> I, I saw I saw a car, a picture on mm-hmm. Twitter of a car, an electric car, running with a gas generator behind it. <laughs> well, because when, either they're having those blackouts right, right now. And when when you get a major snowstorm and the big backups in Virginia, what do you do? Your car runs down. If you don't have a hybrid, you're done. You're just sitting on the yeah. You're just there. Road. And and you you can't run your heat. You can't do anything. You can't go get a can of something. Yeah, right. It's not a cord long enough. <laughs> so this is really not very well thought out. And so when you have people like Secretary Groundholm going out and saying, "Oh, everyone can just get an electric vehicle," and our friends, this lady is crazy. She's the worst. The worst. It's really an embarrassment. I mean, I'm 
very close to Secretary Perry. I worked for Secretary Perry. I mean, these are serious professionals who understand the industry, who understand the broader responsibilities of the department. She's out to lunch. Yeah. Right. Uh, if you'll give me one little digression to Saudi Arabia again, when the president went over in July, you look at the pictures, the big table with uh, Mohammed bin Salman with the crown prince. president and the crown prince are across the table from each other. To the crown prince's right is Prince Abdulaziz, his half-brother, who's the energy minister. Grant Holm was in Singapore tweeting about electric vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't bring your A-team. You're not yeah. serious. Like MBS. Well, I don't think they get it, though, right? I mean, what's so interesting about your background is it's a fusion of national security and energy where it should be, to be honest with you, because it's, it is is sort of one and the same in many, many, many ways. And this administration doesn't seem to understand that at all. No, I mean, it, it's now to be charitable to them, which is hard, but one tries. It's new that energy would be in the national security bucket. But we're looking at all sorts of things now, immigration, food security, information. Yeah. And so one of my charges to Heritage right now is we have to stop using the words foreign policy. Hmm. That's, you know, pinkies up, foggy bottom, UN. Right. Stuff that makes people's eyes, you know, countries they've never heard of, their eyes glaze over. But if you say, you know, you're paying too much for the pump because we're screwing up and we don't have the influence we used to have in the Middle East, for example – they say, oh, why don't we have yeah. said influence? I'm like, well, we could, but we're bringing the wrong people on ill-advised trips. Uh, so I think that is the way to make these issues relevant. Yeah, no, that's Americans. a really good point. And also, as I say, you would think if you were begging Saudi Arabia for oil that maybe the energy person may, may have something to say about that. And especially, you know, when... Somebody like Tony Blinken, who's been around the block, looks at that table and look at looks at who's sitting where. Yeah. Who MBS puts to his right is not a random decision. Mm-hmm. The Saudis know a thing or two about protocol. And if if Abdulaziz is sitting there, that means they're coming to talk business. Mm. And you didn't. <laughs> no, <laughs> certainly not. Well, I mean, they can just kind of sort of sit back and watch us self-immolate over this issue, right? I mean, it, it, everything from the total viewpoint of elimination of fossil fuels to becoming reliant basically on China for for solar panels and everything else and electric batteries and I mean it's it's wild right I mean it, you don't have to actually be an expert <laughs> To understand that doesn't make any sense. No, you can be an art historian and you you can can figure this out. It is not hard. But what you want to look at is, you know, we have this huge strategic advantage over China. China is always going to be energy vulnerable. Mm. They can't fix their problem. So they're going to need to import, which is why they're so excited about getting lots of Russian imports recently. Mm. But for us, you know, we have not an unlimited, but certainly an enormous. We're one of the big three now with the Saudis and the Russians. We are a producing nation. And this administration is insisting we're a consuming nation. So they're going to everyone from Iran and Venezuela. You know, the Saudis is particularly frustrating to me because they would prefer to coordinate with us. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, they don't want us to fail. I mean, there are all sorts of reasons. Both That'd be of pretty us bad need, news for them. It would be yeah. terrible news. So I would not cast them as an adversary in any way, but they're just befuddled mm. by why we wouldn't, if we want to bring prices down, 
and we did this with the Iran sanctions when we took those down uh, we took their exports down to zero we worked directly with the Saudis that was my PhD in Saudi crude levels and what you could refine where and yeah. how, many, how many barrels you could produce but you can get to a point if you work with them so you satisfy China's needs India's needs and but if you don't work with them you just ask them for more and you bludgeon them they're not going to play ball well and you have no leverage right right i mean you give up all your leverage particularly if you have no energy independence whatsoever which is where they're going with this this is the thing that drives me so nuts it's not just simply if you don't produce oil and gas in this country that you don't become energy independent we're also transferring everything they're talking about with electric cars and everything else is an inherent transfer of our energy overseas so it's not i mean it's like the green agenda as they as they formulate it is inherently a energy dependence on the rest of the world. But, but the tra- the transformation that they want, I think, requires scarcity. Like what, yeah. what you know, what you were saying earlier, Holmes, uh, about their worldview, you know, and and their how they've sort of deprioritized, you know, oil and gas. Like that worldview informs the reason why Granholm is not sitting there at the meeting in Saudi Arabia, right? Mm-hmm. So like. They did this on purpose, and they want that scarcity on purpose to remake the American energy economy, right? I mean, I think that's right, which makes the faux outrage so much more unbelievable. Right. <laughs> so much more faux. <laughs> yeah. But I would even take that a step further. I think they think our energy production is an unfair advantage for us. Get out of here. And you think I, they think that? Yeah, and that they think. And this goes back to the Obama administration and even the Carter administration. If you restrain America's advantages, you enable the rest of the world and you, you, get, you provide a good example of, of restraint and you don't dominate and you don't throw your weight around and demand all of your priorities. Uh, so I, I think they see this just as, as a net positive that they want to tamp this down. They want it. They want it to basically go away. So this is this is interesting. I want to tap into that just for a minute because you've worked you work closely in this world and as a national security component too. You're telling me that they believe good foreign policy. And I used the words. I'm sorry. National but, security. But they but they believe good national and just relations across the world requires a weakened America. Oh, absolutely. Wow. I think. Think they, about that. But, I mean, it's so true. It's the basis of the Iran deal, that we have to restrain ourselves. We have to step back. And I think the idea is that good example – I mean, I'm I'm hopeful that they have some kind of logic like this, that a good example will encourage others to good behavior. But the others – I mean, if you're talking about Putin or the Ayatollahs, they're not really going to – embrace good behavior i mean mean, we've been shutting down coal plants in this country since who knows when i I haven't seen the chinese slow down no they're expanding (laughs) and so are the germans right you can't even count on like our supposed allies to be on the same page with us here i mean donald trump himself went to the u.n and said germany you're going to be relying on russian energy and they all laughed in his face and now we are just a few years later and look at what happened they got a hell of a problem yeah Mm -hmm. i was there in 2018 for unga really for the general assembly we did two with, with Trump, uh, 18 and 19, and it was embarrassing. I mean, sitting over in the, with the U.S. delegation and watching the Germans because my other boss, uh, Ted Cruz, had 
been the spearhead of the sanctions against Nord Stream in Congress, and it's something he worked very closely with the administration on, got them passed, shut that thing down. And then Biden decided not to enforce them anymore because the Germans said, oh, the Russians need to sell us gas more than we need to buy it. But That didn't turn out. (laughs) (laughs) What a short-sighted deal. Yeah. I mean, it it has to sort of puzzle you in some ways, being a part of the Trump administration, where so many of the things that you guys were working on, you're entirely correct with the benefit of hindsight. You got no credit for it at the time and and no credit now. No, and and the other thing for the environmentalists is the Trump administration lowered emissions more than any other administration in history. But nobody knew that. Well, I mean, to be honest, we did not fully make the case. And... Mm -hmm. You know, the, the data is there, and it's lo- mostly the conversion to natural gas. One funny thing about coal I wanted to raise is in my home state of Pennsylvania, we do generate from coal, mostly natural gas, also oil, and we sell that coal-generated electricity to New York every day, which has a prohibition <laughs> in generating electricity from coal. That's amazing. <laughs> and I was with a state senator recently. He said, if I could figure out a way to stamp it. <laughs> <laughs> made from clean Pennsylvania coal. I would do it. It was a great moment. But it, it's so hypocritical. You're still buying coal-generated electricity. But you're, you know, you're too lily white, and that's the position the Germans put them in. It's where New York's putting themselves. It's where uh, California's putting themselves. I was thrilled today to see Glenn Youngkin come out against this evil regional greenhouse gas initiative. Oh, yeah, thank God. Because uh, we, I mean, the Pennsylvania legislator sued, legislature, I should be able to say that word, <laughs> sued to keep Pennsylvania out of Reggie because our evil governor is trying to force us into it right now. Uh, and there is an injunction against it. And so I think that encouraged Yunkin to try to get Virginia out of it because it's, it's the devil. It's yeah, and so this is, this is the, the uh, sort of trigger that basically would make Virginia accountable to everything that happens in California, mm-hmm. right? Because it's going so well. Which is, this is the lefties, this is the way they do things. When you can't actually pass the legislation, you just look at California and you're like, well, if they do it, then we do it. Sound good? Good. All right, move on. <laughs> and then California sticks a political gun in their mouth every single chance they can <laughs> and, and makes your state basically uninhabitable. I mean, that's what's happening here. Yeah. It is. I mean, I'm sure we're going to miss California when it drifts into the sea. And it's a shame. I mean, I'm Nevada's going to have a great view at that point. They will have a good view. And I'm married to a liquor dealer, and I know he's going to be sorry about it. But, it, you know, we'll find other sources for wine, sweetie. Uh, But it's it's just mind-boggling that they could take that beautiful place and just destroy it. Yeah. I mean, with a just a total commitment to. I mean, every time something doesn't work, they double down on it. I can't wait to get to the 20th of September. You know they can't water their plants <laughs> until the 20th? So Los Angeles is literally going to be brown. Oh, yeah. Like, dead. I did not know that. They, they put a prohibition because they, on top of the electricity stuff, they also screwed up a water pipe. They won't do the civil nukes, so they can't do desalinization from the Pacific. So they're dependent on others for their water, and now there's no water. That is unbelievable. So no energy and no water. No water, yeah. What's the deal with the blackouts now that we're hearing about in California? Well, they're they're a third, I guess, a third grade alert, which is sort of, it's not quite code orange, uh, but we're getting there. And We're talking like Enron days of rolling blackouts? And, And you have Gavin Newsom coming out and saying, 
please turn your you know, it literally up is it's 78 it's literally the jimmy carter mm-hmm. like well, put on a sweater and e- turn down the heat even even worse I, there's some smart home thermostats i read an article that were basically controlling temperature on your behalf no that you could not mm-hmm. control because you had checked a box on your agreement with the power company to opt in to this community energy Get out of system here. where, yeah, now basically the government and your utility company is in control of your thermostat, not you. <laughs> we get the, the nasty grams from the uh, Pico from the Pennsylvania Energy Company saying, here's your energy li- use and here's your thrifty neighbors. Yeah. And here are the Like things. you're supposed to feel bad about that. I, I mean, how about a thank you note for being a good customer? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right. Great. I like it 68, and that's just <laughs> the way I'm going to roll. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm an American, and I thought I was free to set my own thermostat, but maybe Seriously, not. especially when you're paying for it. It's, it's just un- incredible. Before I transition into it, because I have a lot of national security questions for you, I want to get your view of the world at large, but I see you've brought something here. And it's I'm staring at it, and I'm not going to be able to do another segment until I can figure out what's in this box. Well, for the benefit of the lister- listeners, it's it's not a box. It's it's a Phillies cooler uh, because we're very... I was trying to denigrate it. We're on Philadelphia brand today. Uh, but please, Josh, open Okay, all right. It's my, uh, uh-oh, we've got beer in here and a bottle of booze. So the beer is very close to my heart. Uh, there was a Marine named Travis Mannion who uh, was killed in Iraq in 2007 in, 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 out in Al-Ambar uh, under extraordinarily heroic uh, circumstances. He drew the enemy fire and sacrificed himself for his company, and he was the only one to die. And he, he grew up in Doylestown, which is about 10 miles from where we live. And his family, which of course suffered this truly grievous loss, has formed a, the Travis Mannion Foundation. Y'all can find it at travismannion.org. They do wonderful things for veterans' families, among other causes, and they've started this beer as a as a benefit. And the Philly, This is amazing. Yeah, the Phillies serve it down at CBP. The Eagles, if they, if they can make enough. Yeah, right, that's Eagles, right. Eagles fans are, are enthusiastic about the beer. Uh, the beer, beer and batteries, from yeah, what I understand. Yes, well, you know, and, and we don't like Santa Claus, and there are all these things. Uh, but uh, they're, they're going to serve it. It'll be at the Army-Navy game. It's, it's a great way to express you know, support for Travis, support for the foundation. These cans are works. incredible. Yeah, the Isn't cans are badass. I mean, this is so it's, it's a flag, and it, it's if not me, then who? Blondale. It's actually a story from an Eagles game where right before he went on his final deployment, Travis was at the Eagles game with, I believe, his brother-in-law, who joked with him, oh, I should push you down the steps and you can sprain your ankle and not have to go. And he got quiet and he said, if not me, if not I, who? Oh, man. This is a hero if there ever was one. Absolutely. And so I encourage everyone uh, to check it out. It's a, it's, a, it's a really profound thing for us in Philadelphia. And uh, I'll join you. Yeah, please do. I mean, it tastes terrific. This is a refreshing blonde ale. That's travismanion.org is the website. And Co-Hops is, is their partner yeah. up in Doylestown that, that brews the beer. And I went up and visited with them. And they were actually fans of the Ruthless Podcast. Is that wow. right? They are. Well, yes. you tell them anytime they want to come on and hawk their stuff, I'm more than willing. I think all of us would welcome them with open arms. Because this is, I mean, it is really good beer. I, I know. If nothing else, you're getting, <laughs> right. you're getting a quality product. Yeah. 
So wow, I mean, what a great story. Well, thank you for letting me do that. It, it's it's important to us locally, and I did not know Travis, but just have nothing but the greatest admiration for the family. Uh, it's how can you not? What an incredible story! What an incredible beer, man! I'm I'm going to be a customer from here on out. Can I get it shipped to me? I mean, I, well, I'll talk to the co-hops people. That's the problem, and they literally need more brewery partners yeah. to produce. Well, we got listeners who are okay. interested in that sort of thing. So, if, you know, look. There are look, links online, if you all know. Shoot us a note. We're happy to connect anybody with anybody. Now, the other object is courtesy of my husband, Booze Hound, <laughs> uh, who is a big gin drinker. I have generally not been a So he's in the booze business. Yeah. I mean, that's a great thing to marry into. I married up. You, <laughs> I mean, this, this is like, you got stocked cabinets, no proper, great wine. Our our happy, not our happiest, <laughs> that my father always used to say to my mother, which drove her crazy on their anniversary if they'd been married for 48 years. He'd say, Annie, to 37 happy years. <laughs> <laughs> drove, her, drove her completely insane. Uh, but our, our early days when he was a wine salesman in Center City, Philadelphia, and he would come home every day with the bag of the half-opened wine bottles. And you'd have to drink. Oh, yeah. I mean, imagine. <laughs> it it would be away. wasteful. Yeah. It would be wasteful. You, I mean, you're wearing energy. Like, and you want to learn. You want to learn about the wines. Yeah. <laughs> it knows to the grindstone. So this is Blue Coat. <laughs> yes. Elder, elderflower Dry Gin. It is a local gin product. Uh, they've been doing exceptionally well. This is, so. okay, so this is a Pennsylvania deal too? It, Philadelphia. Philadelphia It's also on the top of the cap. Wow. I mean, you should get like a marketing bonus I for the totally state of should. Pennsylvania. Here, I mean, this is... This is, look at that, and it's nice and chilled too. And I brought you tonic just oh, in case you wanted to a mix. Really thoughtful presentation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm married to a liquor dealer. <laughs> what do you expect? I don't know, Victoria. If I screwed this one up, <laughs> there would be no end of it in the home. Victoria, I think you should come back and have a weekly segment. I think this is this is exactly what we need. <laughs> I don't know how much good stuff we produce in Pennsylvania, but we could, you know, hunt around the world. We'll hunt around. We'll go anywhere. We'll go anywhere. Okay. Um, all right. So let's get back to business for a second. Okay. Deputy National Security Advisor in the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. And with that comes uh, a bunch of challenges, initially because uh, much of the, you know, quote unquote, foreign policy establishment didn't want him there in the first place didn't think that he had any idea what he was talking about, ignored all of his ideas, and then basically pieces of the national security apparatus actively going after a sitting president of the United States. You're in the middle of that trying to navigate that whole deal. That had to have been a very tricky deal. It was it was a wild time because uh, I was on the transition and then went on the NSC day one, and you'll remember what happened. The first thing that happened to us is the NSC was the blob came for for general flynn and so that's right you know after three weeks suddenly general flynn who's the one who hired me uh is is gone literally in the night and then suddenly in comes hr mcmaster uh who oddly enough was was getting an honorary uh sort of not degrees the wrong word but honoring membership i guess into my husband's national guard mu- unit in philadelphia the weekend all that happened we happened to be in palm peach huh. and george looked at me and said who's hr mcmaster i said i think he's mine <laughs> he's now a member of the first uh, philadelphia first city troop cavalry uh but so you know we had the second transition with hr 
you get to know a new boss. Uh, that goes on for a year and a half. We start down the impeachment road. That was just catastrophic yeah. uh, in terms of, of President Trump's views of the NSC. Well, and, and it, it fell directly in your line of responsibility, right? I mean, so at that point, if everybody recalls, it was it had to do with a, a Ukrainian phone call, basically. And much was made out of not a whole hell of a lot, but I got to imagine that puts you in, in an impossible position to try to figure out how to navigate the politics of everything that's happening on Capitol Hill and their attempts to, to take down President Trump with the actual serious policy that you're responsible for. Well, I was mostly in Middle East issues uh, and certainly interested in Ukraine for a variety of reasons. But as that sort of started to burble and, and, and explode, and I, I mean, I was not to make myself sound more important than I am, but I was on a lot of present our calls with President Trump. And, you know, he has his own personal style, yeah. which is unique. Yeah, it's not reading from the three-ring binder. <laughs> he is though, not reading way. from the three-ring binder. But, you know, he would certainly absorb, you know, your your pre-call comments. You know, these are the things I think are priorities. And, and he, had a, he had a great way of working those into what otherwise would seem like very jovial conversations and the other thing that's not well known about him is the relationships he was able to establish with a lot of these world leaders many of whom are not easy to deal with uh, but he but made, they liked him they liked him they felt like he was a straight shooter he made our jobs easier because they felt like they had a line to him I mean mm-hmm. he would always take a call yeah and you know it he wasn't thrilled about the whole you know, uh, secret line thing because he was like, "Oh, I can just take it from my cell phone on the phone." <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. No, that's not going to work. Um, you know, but I think he would have been a lot happier had he been sort of untethered to to do it more freely. But but he did put a lot of time into it, and it was extremely valuable to all of us. And that is is generally not acknowledged as as a way he gave his team a lot of cover uh, because these the the heads of state knew they could reach out to him and get him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it was very... I remember, what was the one phone call? The top of the memo. You may have even been a part of it. It was like, do not do congratulate. Do not congratulate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like Putin won his reaction. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, do yeah. not congratulate. It's like, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> that was the fastest way to have that happen. Is <laughs> You put do not something on the top, and that happens 100% yep, of the time. Uh, absolutely. So, I mean, maybe we should have, we should have done reverse psychology. Uh, <laughs> That's really but, funny. No, but it, it, it was really extraordinary being on the NSC from my perspective because he was willing to do things that conventional wisdom said were completely impossible. Yeah. And I'd start with moving the embassy in Israel from yeah. Tel Aviv to Jerusalem because I had worked on that issue with Senator Cruz. We were lead on Cruz Heller, or Heller Cruz, uh, the, the Jerusalem Recognition Act, and kept saying, you know, we really think it's time. And we got the same briefing that everyone had gotten, that the streets were going to run with blood and the sky was going to fall and the Arabs were going to attack and this was a horrible thing for Israel. And David Friedman, God love him, he was in Philadelphia uh, last month endorsing Dr. Oz, uh, which was a great thing to do. But David just said, look, you know, this is not Israel of 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And we need to give the Arab world clarity on where the United States stands with Israel, and this is the way yeah, to well do it. well said. Yeah. And we did it, and the streets did not run with blood, and the sky did not fall. Yeah, it turned out, it worked out just fine. Just fine. Uh, it's amazing. So, so you were very involved in the Middle East, obviously, mm-hmm. and so I, I kind of wanted to ask you about, um, with Iraq in, in, in particular, 
the media, a lot in the media, and I think like Jim Shudo, ch- chief among them, sort of mocked this idea of a quote-unquote deep state, right, that would undermine President Trump. But then in the same breath would say things like, oh, you know, generals or people in the intel community, you know, sort of secretly undermined the president and kept him from getting out of Iraq or, or kept him from making a decision he wanted to make in foreign policy. And I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts on on that? I always found that to be one of the most underreported parts of the Trump administration is how much the president was sort of undermined by people within the administration and like within the intel community well and just and just and and this isn't a trump specific thing but like i think the american people elect a president for the president to have broad latitude to to (laughs) implement their agenda like how how much of the bureaucracy makes that impossible or very unlikely i just Mm. you know i mean because this blob if you will you you referenced it Mm. earlier it makes it very hard but certainly not impossible. And where those of us who went through the administration now have a great advantage going forward is we know where the good careers are. And they are they exist, these people are patriots, they've poured their lives into the service. That does exist. And the, lumping them all together is gonna be a recipe for failure. You need to be able to understand that your folks are there. Now there's a reason uh, that the Biden NSC people walked into NSC Human Relations the day after the election was called and said, here are my 60 files. I Mm. want these people on January. They know exactly who they want. Mm -hmm. We had no idea. Mm. Yeah. Going into the Trump administration and you know, most of the Bush administration people who would have come with us had taken themselves off the table with all the never Trump stuff, right. yeah. which was deeply unfortunate. Great job, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's not do that again. Don't Please, kidding. Please, if I get one message out. If I see one more letter signed by 50 people who've now taken themselves out of contention for working in a Republican administration, I'm going to puke. Yeah. Well, I mean, that Senator Cruz said to us in the summer of 16, he said, I have my issues with the candidate. Those are my issues. Yeah, if anybody does, it was him, right? Right. <laughs> and, but I don't want to see you guys. I don't want you signing anything. I don't want to see you on the news. Yeah. This is not your fight. Yeah. I will fight it. And we will get. And then you know the two of them came to their resolution, uh, both of them patriots, and just let's not do that again. Yeah. yeah. So now those of us who were there, who do know, who would be supportive of the kind of policies we would look at, I think we can do a much better job. Yeah. Of that. Well, I certainly of, hope you're going to be a part of a transition team at said because hey, look, I mean, I don't know, I'm getting fat and happy at <laughs> It's sort of a specialized skill, right? Nobody talks about the importance of a transition team in terms of identifying and understanding what you've just explained to our audience. But that's the difference between being able to do what you want to do and not doing anything at all, or winding up in a impeachment trials. Absolutely, and. The other thing that what happened with President Trump prevented us from explaining is once we got the NSC cleansed of blob elements, we had to be his tool. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I mean, and I saw this from DOE, the departments and agencies will just run amok. Yeah, yeah. they just do what they're going to do yeah. unless somebody tells them not to. Unless you've got a hammer at the NSC. Yeah. You know, the the real quick illustration of that is when we designated the uh, Iranian Islamic Republican Guard Corps of the IRGC as a foreign terrorist organization. The only reason we got that done is I was able to call PCC meetings every Friday at 530 in person. So all <laughs> y'all who want to debate this, 
you can come over to the White House at 5.30 on a Friday They're afternoon. Like, oh. Took six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. And it's they like, caved. <laughs> That's like lining up late July votes yep. in yeah. yep. Congress. It's, yeah. it's exactly like that. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> well, we're good with it. Yeah. I'm totally yeah, fine. fine with that. I've got a vacation planned. Oh, that's, I'm going to the ballet. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. So yeah, you're at Heritage now, mm-hmm. and he, you may not know anything. You may want not want to touch this topic at all. But I figured, given your your background, you may have some insight. I mean, everyone's talking about the the classified documents that were found at Mar-a-Lago, mm-hmm. and there's speculation yesterday uh, about the contents of those, and that they were highly classified. Here's my question. If they are as sensitive as we now are led to believe by the Washington Post, how do you just walk out of the White House with a box of that? Well, isn't it somebody's job? Yeah, yes, it is. And I was I actually did C-SPAN Washington Journal this morning. Oh, so well, we, 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 I'm second place, but we'll take it. No, no, no. We, <laughs> we, you were booked well before them. But, uh, they, we, I, we took some calls. Mm-hmm. So I got the people's views on from they, both sides. I bet they, yeah, they take both sides. Uh, I, I was called a fascist several times. <laughs> it's a little surprising, but you know, my grandfather's second wave D-Day. <laughs> yeah. We've kind of been Nazi hunters, but. You should tell them about your art history degree. I'm sure that they would degree, go right there. Uh, you know, the, the classification system, and what's interesting to me is the Biden NSC is currently doing a review of the classification system and how things are classified and how they're declassified and how classification can be used as a bludgeon. Now, those documents, if they are what they say they are, should have basically been tracked. There are very few physical copies. In some cases, there's only one. In some cases, there might be two or three, but whatever they are, they're tracked. So if they knew they had left the complex, when they went in April, they should have had all those document numbers. They would have known. And just said, here, give me all your sentence. Well, this is so. But th- that this is the thing that blows my mind, right? Because in that same article in the Washington Post, it says, you know, it's highly secret. In some cases, some of the documents are only kept in a safe inside a skiff. And for those of you who don't know what the skiff is, it's a, it's a classified room, totally sort of uncontaminated. In a safe, can't just be in the skiff, had to be in the safe in the skiff. Well, if that is the case, how the hell did they end up at Mar-a-Lago? And that's also bizarre, because our offices in the EEOB were skiffs. Yeah. So our stuff, you know, was it, there was certain stuff that could be in your office. There was certain stuff that had to live up in Intel spaces. It's not complicated. You've got to double, it's a pain. You've got to double wrap it. You've got to move it around. Uh, if you want to take it over to the White House and just go across west of exec, there's a whole protocol for that. But, you know, I can't speak to the particulars of this. I just say, you know, I never saw President Trump be cavalier with classified information um but how would he even get it i mean i i don't like take the motives out of it, yeah. why he wanted it or why it was there take that all aside physically how in the world would you get a document like you just empty is, the resolute yeah, desk and like, you put it in a banker's like, spot yeah, like how does this happen here's here's my little illustrative example uh because i like working for the shy retiring types another former boss is don rumsfeld <laughs> and uh he, when he came out of the Pentagon in 06, and I was his archivist, so 
up to the end of his life, he used to call me when he would forget things about yeah. himself. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which was always fun. Like, can you remember my batting average and the Coney Cubs? <laughs> 242. <laughs> uh, and he, I tried to elevate it, but it he was so concerned because DOD had done a digitized version of his Chronicle of Tenure for 0106. And, you know, so we weren't receiving physical documents. We were getting... You are getting over the internet. Digitized. Yeah. And so... And, and even controlling that material was incredibly difficult. So he went after the uh, the sort of classification authority and made them design a stamp. And you'll see it if you go on Rumsfeld.com and look at any of those documents. In the lower corner, there's a stamp with a horse on it, which is his 1988 uh, emblem for running for president, the dark horse, hmm. saying this, this document's unclassified. Oh. regardless of its marking, because he was terrified that something had just migrated just over. Just slipped through. Yeah. And, right. and so it can As happen. one would be yeah. as a defense secretary, right? And that's a defense secretary. This yeah. is a president. Uh, and, you know, if somebody is meticulous and, you know, interested in these things as DR would have that concern. You know, I can see how various things can get shuffled together. I wasn't in the White House then, so I can't speak to the specifics, but... You know, it wouldn't be shocking to me to learn that might happen. But but then the National Archives should have known when they walked in the first time, these mm-hmm. are, this is what we want. And like you said, they track the documents, right, or should, should it, something that classified right. would have I mean, to be tracked. I mean, the CIA should be screaming their heads off, or whoever produced it. Exactly. Well, I guess that's that was kind of the point that I was getting to. If anything is that classified... Mm-hmm. How in the world does it take you? How does it go half, this far? A year and a half to get. And why back is to suddenly it? in August? Like we have to have it. Right. It makes it, none of this story makes any sense to me. There's got to be there's got to be just leagues of information that we don't know. And that's really where this becomes so problematic. Is it becomes a rule of law issue? Mm-hmm. You know what? What does Christopher Ray have to say? What does Merrick Garland have to say? Why have they been so clammed up about this? You know, we need some transparency and clarity on how this all went down, what they're actually after. You know, and if they have a case against the president, make it. But this, I mean, now we've been in limbo for over a month. And we're learning about it in the Washington Post and New York Times. Like, don't these guys have an obligation to go grab a microphone and do a briefing? No, apparently leaking to the same group that they leaked all the Rushgate stuff. Which makes all of us, what you just said is what makes all of us so skeptical, Mm -hmm. right? Because for four years we read about absolute fiction in both of those newspapers. And now it kind of feels like a here we go again. But I I don't know that. No. And it's, it's very, very damaging going into the midterms. Oh, it's incredible. All right. Well, I, listen, I could talk to you for two days about all the... <laughs> I do have three big questions that we okay. ask all of our guests, okay? The first one, your last meal on earth, what would it be? So the predicate to that, and, and I was very impressed by Devin's answer when he was on that he'd pick the wine first. Yeah, yeah. No, he <laughs> yeah. was very, very serious about that. And so that got me to thinking about it, and my predicate is that my husband has to cook it because mm. he is also a trained chef. This wow. guy. I know. Can I, I marry this guy? You this might, guy sounds great. You might want to have him on. Because <laughs> <laughs> he is also the chair of the Commonwealth Foundation, so he knows a lot about Pennsylvania politics. Uh, so George has to cook it, but I would have, uh, this is going to come as a surprise, but pork, sauerkraut, mashed potatoes, and carrots, which oh. is what we eat in Lancaster County every New Year's Day. That is very wow. local. And you can take the girl out of Lancaster County, but you can't take <laughs> Lancaster County out of the girl. That is, there is evidence of that. Absolutely. All right. So second question. If you never got into this line of work at all, right, and you've had iterations of this line of work 
for a while. Uh, your resume is incredible. Um, but no public service, no politics, no national security, all that stuff. And you have this big blue sky that you could fill it with absolutely anything. What would it be? Be a successful art historian. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think I would go into sports management. I would love to yes. be front office for the Phillies, uh, wow. do government relations for the team. I would extend that. Uh, my uh, my sister, but for Bloodline, is a senior exec at, in the Flyers organization, and I just... God, you're really hard. You're, I mean, you're big Pennsylvania gal, huh? We, we are wired in. Yeah, you're <laughs> <laughs> serious about it. Yeah. Uh, but I would, I would love to do something like that. That I just, is fun. It brings so much joy to so many people. And uh, come on, Phillies. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tank now. Yeah, okay, I'm certainly not going to join you in that. <laughs> um, all right, so third question. You know what's coming. I'll, I'll explain a little bit. Obviously, it's the what motivates you more, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. As you know, nobody enjoys defeat. It's what motivates you. It's either the glass half full or every victory you've ever had lasts like three seconds. But every defeat that you've ever had, you carry around like a backpack and use it as motivation to improve and get better. Where do you find yourself? It's agony of defeat yeah, all, you see, all <laughs> yeah. the way. I keep lists. Yeah. I may forgive. I never forget yeah. <laughs> oh yeah and I, what else is i want to call bullshit on all the happy warriors <laughs> they're liars <laughs> no one does that sort of pollyanna-ish pollyanna wasn't that pollyanna-ish it, not at this level no, right no you gotta you gotta as i said you gotta keep lists and keep those people out of your life <laughs> and i would say michael jordan i we watched that documentary wasn't with it amazing our son. Yeah. I mean, that man took 20 years <laughs> to go back and dust off every grievance. Yeah. yeah. Impressive. And it's like they were happening yesterday. Uh-huh. Totally. Yeah. And he gets, you can watch him get mad as yeah. he talks about it. No, Good it's stuff. truly, the, he's, he's the personification of it. You No surprise at all that you find yourself in that category. Where can people keep up with your work at Heritage? Uh, absolutely at Heritage on Twitter, at uh, Victoria Coates. And uh, it's just been a great pleasure. You guys are a joy in our week every week. And Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Listen, stay in touch. Of course. As big events need explanation mm-hmm. of these simple minds, we'd appreciate if you could come back from time to time. Yeah, and bring absolutely. booze. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's my special gift from heroes no less from heroes yeah, uh, thank awesome thanks so much Victoria pleasure so she's just so smart brought us great beer uh, great lady I, I, I am serious gonna have her back for segments on stuff we don't understand exactly right? like if these idiots do an actual deal with Iran she's like my first call yeah we gotta talk to her about that kind of thing she's terrific but one of the things that we hit on in this interview is a story about a Denver area power company taking over thermostats. Yeah. What in the... L- it's so frightening. It's horrific. This is just like what we were talking about with Switzerland earlier on in the show. Right. I mean, the, this the is direc- even worse. The direction these people are headed is scary. This is even worse. So this is according to Cairo 7, a local news outlet in Denver, a Colorado power company locked the smart thermostats of thousands of customers for the first time, citing an, quote, energy emergency. XL Energy, which serves 1.3 million electric customers in Colorado, started the AC Rewards program six years ago, KUSA TV reported. The program allows customers to receive rebates in exchange for allowing XL 
to adjust their thermostats during the summer's hottest days to ease the electrical grid. I mean, the AC rewards program. Yeah. Talk wow. about a bait and switch. That is, that is the Inflation and, and Reduction Act in right. energy policy. Exactly right. and, and what what they're doing is, is so nefarious because they're specifically targeting folks who would be like, I could absolutely use that money. I, of that's course. what they're going You're after. Exactly of right. course, that's You're, that's exactly right. Preying I mean, on the people who need it most. Bang. Yeah, I mean, if people are looking for to try to, I mean, they got nine percent inflation. People are having to make tough choices. If somebody's going to save you something on your power bill, you're probably going to do it if you're in, in in desperate straits. And now you're looking at your thermostat, and it's 80, 85 degrees in your house. And if you're on a fixed income, you're doing it because you're on a fixed income. You're probably older. Bingo. And uh, air Do conditioning not need, means an yeah, awful lot. To, a lot. Can you imagine? First of all, can you imagine? <laughs> like, I can see this happening, right? Where I'm, I my wife like enrolls us in something, and all of a sudden I go to my house and I'm working on the thermostat, and I'm like, it's 80 degrees in here. What the fuck is going on? First of all, she would have a heart attack because like 68 is where she keeps things too. But I can't imagine. I would a be level livid. of rage. Absolute rage. Oh, it's so dystopian. It is. You know, it's like something you would only see in a movie, and that it affects everything. You cannot enjoy anything. No. If, if, if you're sitting there and it's 80 degrees in your house, can you, like, I, I'd be like in an ice bath. Naked I, in front of the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember what, so it, it, when I, I went to Arizona State and you have those, like, you go to school and it's 115 degrees. And I remember we were living in this house and the AC went out and it was 115. Oh. And, like, this landlord, it was not like, they were not sending their best. Yeah, it's a college <laughs> landlord. Sending their best. Yeah. yeah. Macamelli, his name was Macamelli. Macamelli didn't get this thing fixed for like three days, and so we would go buy literal bags of ice and like slap them down in the middle of the couch <laughs> and just lay on them. Oh my god! <laughs> play vids. Yeah. Pop in a Haas. Yeah. You know what I mean? Pop like in a Haas. Play some Madden. It's, but if that happened to me live. this day and age, like in my current life, yeah, it's, yeah. it's changed. Ooh, not good. Not good. Um, all right, so we want to get into the political environment because there's been an awful lot of bullshit mm -hmm. that has been going on out there. It starts with the one thing that I was just, it killed me last week that I couldn't have the outlet yeah. of Ruthless Variety program to talk about, but Biden's full fascist. Yes. Right? Smug, I haven't heard your take on this because we've been apart here for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, so... Number one, I was horrified seeing the images. I think everyone's already gone over like how ridiculous the the look was of of looking like Adolf Hitler. I mean, the guy looked like Adolf Hitler up there, and to be like, well, if you disagree with me, you're dangerous. <laughs> Essentially, is like he was like, if you're in the minority on an opinion, you're an extremist, which is wild given where his like uh, approval ratings are. It's like. Not even 40%. Right? Yeah, like right. nobody wants... What does that say about you, <laughs> yeah. brother? And, and I think it's accurate in the sense that, like, he is clearly an extremist when, like, this is basically Joe Biden going into election season trying to make the message for Dems because they can't talk about how, like, California example of Dems calling the shots. What happens? They can't even get the lights on, okay? Right. What, what What's happened across the country? Record inflation with Dems controlling the House, the Senate, and the White House. He can't talk about that. He can't talk about how grocery prices are expensive, how the cost of living has gone up for every American. What he can't talk about is, if you don't vote for me, you're evil. Right. Okay, that's a hell of a message. Because because if the election is a referendum on Joe Biden and his presidency, he gets run out. He gets run out. Yep. And so he has to try to make it a choice election between himself and 
what he sees as a fascist movement yeah. in America. Well, so let me delve into the fascist movement of America for a moment, yeah. right? Because there's no question this administration has tried to elevate what they call MAGA Republicans, right? Right, And basically it's their, what, their attempt to try to force Donald Trump into the middle of this election because they feel like his polling numbers in the states that matter are anemic enough where they can drag Republicans down despite the fact that Joe Biden's approval ratings are lower than Donald Trump's. Exactly. Right? right? So he keeps talking about MAGA Republicans and he keeps trying to force this issue. And if you notice like one line, MAGA Republicans, and it's like straight fascism he basically accuses people of. Right. Right? Isn't it something that all of this has come together at the same time? That the Mar-a-Lago raid, that the, you know, all of the, the, you know, Donald Trump was basically living his best life at the Live Golf Tournament two months ago. Right. And they drag him back in to be the centerpiece, you know, of this raid uh, so that they can have a foil for the midterms. Is that your theory here? But then immediately gets a primetime address Uh with the backlit red and all of that. And it's MAGA Republicans, Donald Trump. Uh Like, doesn't that just seem a little too coincidental for politics? Yeah. Doesn't it? um, And the thing is, is that like the timing of it, the timing of it, when they're within that 100 day election window. Of them playing this card and trying to make this, uh, trying to trying to turn this election to a question of is this fascism versus democracy, which is absolute bullshit. When you look at, I mean, we we've got Dems who are like, yes, we can turn your lights on and off. Okay, like what's fascism? Is right. absolute control? What is fascism? Which is what they're demanding to have of like they're changing that definition like recession. Right. <laughs> Bingo, just like that. Fascism is when Republicans are in charge. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Basically, what basically they're saying, what they're right? saying. Yeah. To, to your point about the timing, last month, I don't know if you guys remember, but last month we covered this on the Variety program. Uh, there were a group of historians who came in to talk oh, to God. Biden about oh. his place and time and history. This and is one like of them, the Meacham. One of them was Meacham. Did, yeah. did you know who wrote Biden's speech? Yeah, it was him, speech? right? It was John Meacham. Yeah. Lunatics. I mean, they're absolute lunatics. They've lost their damn minds. But I think it's just, just incredibly cynical. What Democrats are trying to do is take somebody who's not in office, who's not in charge of all the failures that the Biden administration has perpetrated on the American people and and the horrible economic conditions that people find themselves in, drag that person back and make it a referendum on them. Dude, it's going to go over like a wet fart. This is just like the Biden Jim Crow Yep, speech that he gave. After all the, Republicans are you know, Jim Crow. Right. Because of the Georgia election reform law. Uh, that didn't work, and this isn't going to work. And they tried the same shit in 2010 with the Tea Party. Yep. And that failed as well. I mean, we had a historic election in 2010. And to, I think to, this is. To that point, and I'll uh, smug just for a moment, but to that point, Joe Biden's job approval rating, 42. Bingo. 42. 42. Oh, no. There's some historical study on oh. what happens to a president. Is there? You, yeah. Turns out you get your ass kicked in a midterm election. And, oh, right. And then YouGov has a poll where Biden approval rating among independents hits a new low. Independents approve 26.7%, disapprove 64.1%. Independence. <laughs> Independence. A famously fickle crowd. So, like, when the media is trying to, like, get every conservative to take the bait and become disheartened, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. It's a very, this election hinges on one very simple question. Is your life better today with Joe Biden than it was before? Well, and and and, related- and the answer for every American, except for like the billionaire donors who are doing great with him, 
the answer for every American is no. Everything is worse. And, and re- related to that, Smug, because there has been obviously a lot of like hand wringing and some polling noise over the, ca- the the last few weeks of oh, will Democrats be resurgent? Yada 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 yada. All these independents are starting to tune in now, mm-hmm. and our candidates, you know, these independents like their info flow, like the, their media consumption is far different than the Republican, the Democrat base. Or anybody that's listening to this. Right. Yeah. And they're starting to pay attention. And suddenly now Republicans are up with these messages. Yeah. You know, tying their member of Congress to the failures of the Biden administration, tying their senator to the failures of the Biden administration. You're 100% right, Michael. Let me just, let me give you like a, a high level understanding just based on doing this for 20 years, right? What happens in August of a midterm, it doesn't really matter if Republicans or Democrats are in charge, is that the environment is basically the environment. What I mean by the political environment is what's the president's approval rating? What's the right track versus wrong track analysis of the country? What is the approval rating on the handling of the economy? Mm -hmm. Right. Big issues like that, right? And there is always a big disconnect between that in the ballot questions of that party in charge mm-hmm. in all of these individual races, whether they be House races, Senate races, or governor's races. Right. That is just a fact. That right. is for 20 years I've observed this fact. Like dem- for our listeners, Democrats basically in this case overperforming reality. Right, because the environment is not translated to the ultimate choice that they will make on, right. the, on the ballot. Right, they're not there yet mentally. No, they're, they're doing normal people things. Right. Right? They're on vacation with their kids for yes. crying out loud. So... As you get into a post-Labor Day environment, what generally happens is you get a three to five point shift that correlates with the environment writ large. So the ballot questions that you're looking, and what I mean by a ballot question is like, who are the two names that are on the ballot in the race that you're voting for, right? So let's just take like Nevada, Catherine Cortez, Masto, Adam Laxall. What will happen over the next four weeks is there will be a three to five point shift from Democrats to Republicans, because the people in the middle that we just talked about, that Smug said, YouGov found a 26% approval rating. Just devastating. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because those people will begin to associate their economic condition or the reason they found themselves in the 64% yeah. of not liking what's going on right here, will start to apply that rightfully to where people own What's happening? And the people in charge, the Democrats. The Demo- people in charge. Democrats and their allies in the media know this. Right. And so every time you read a story that's about the Dobbs decision, every time you read yeah. a story that's about Trump, every or time Republican you read a story that's or bullshit. about the 2020 election, anything that's not related to the economy, you know that that is Democrats pushing their distraction through their allies in the media so that you don't pay attention to the economy. But but ultimately what they're trying to do is push the sun back up in the sky. Yeah. That fucker's setting no matter what. Impossible. Right? It's coming it's coming down. But but here's the other piece of it. In order for them to make the case that there is a fundamentally different uh political environment for Democrats than there was this spring when the red wave, all the talk of the red wave. Yeah. In order for them to make that case, what they highlight is the ballot differential in Senate races, right? And they do that over this 60 to 90 day period from like June till now, Yeah, right? And they say that Democrats have a consistent lead in all of the competitive races. They're right. What they don't say is also during that time, 
there was a five to one spending disadvantage for the Republican candidates. In most cases, most of the states that you're listening from right now, you've seen nothing but Democratic ads for the last three months. Yeah. Democrats chose to do that. They felt like they needed to try to define Republicans early because they knew this shit was coming at the end, right? Yeah. But now, starting last week, is the first time in all of 2022 that there is ad parity in all of these states. So the other side of the story is being told. My point is, is that all of the polling that you're looking at yeah. is less reflective of Roe or Biden's shitty accomplishments, which right. nobody believes is an actual accomplishment, as evidenced by the 26% approval rating amongst independents. It's more reflective of the inundation of information flow that's yeah. negative on the Republican candidate. There is a delta between the ballot position and the reality on the ground, the approval rating of, of Biden with these voters. And that delta is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. Even if you did nothing. Yes. But we're not doing anything. Yes. Right? There has been millions of dollars of ads. I think there was, like, as of Senate Leadership Fund, I think it's the case they placed $15 million worth of ads this week. Yeah, just yesterday, $18 million. They're going to spend $190 million in the next two months. Yeah, so, I mean, th my point is is that they're feeding you false information to give you... They, they want you to be completely dispassionate or down or unmotivated. It's their only hope. Right? And it's bullshit. Right. It's utter bullshit. In 2014, we were trailing in seven of seven targeted Senate races in August. Oh, well, what happened in 2014? We won 10. Oh. We, we won 10. That's so weird. We were trailing in 16. What yeah. happened in 16? Yeah. No, I mean, look. These things, particularly in midterms, they break a little later. But now that you're seeing these spending advantages begin to shrink and these Republican candidates get out and being able to make the case, you're going to find in three weeks, mark my words, all of the political prognosticators, you know, like the right. Cook Report and all that, which I, I, there are some really smart people over there. They will all, at the end of September, revise. Yeah. And that's the beauty of being in that business, right? Is that like red every, wave revival? Every three weeks, you can change the narrative and still be right. That's right. <laughs> you know? Look, I mean, polls are just a snapshot in time. Just that's what they always say. Just a snapshot in time. <laughs> How about a little historical analysis and understanding? Like for practitioners in the field, like we have been, we can tell you, we can give you this this right. historic. Now, this is not a fait accompli. This doesn't right. mean that we win. It's what Smug always says. Bingo. What the, do we say? The, the red wave is not something that's happening. The red wave is something we are doing. Exactly. Yeah. It requires us to do our jobs yeah. and to get out and make sure that we're not having thermostats changed at the Department of Energy. Yeah. Right. Right? Like we actually- Because that's what they want. That's They've what they shown want. that's what they want. That, and we're not being hyperbolic about it. So anyway, that's the briefing. Smog, I don't know if you have any other views on all of this, but- I think the message is very simple. Everybody, like, the media is doing everything they can to try to be like, oh, no, Red Wave is dead. I wonder why they want that. They want conservatives to be disheartened when nothing has changed. The country, you still see crime. You still see chaos. You see inflation. You see you see in California that are turning the power off for people. This is what Joe Biden's America looks like when, when Dems have the House, the Senate, and the White House. And we're going to take it back. That's why the red wave is going to happen, because people are fed up with this. Right. Volunteer for a campaign. Donate to campaigns. Get involved. That's how we do this. And if you are a campaign right now, you got to be making that argument that Holmes laid out, which yeah. is that that person, that Democrat, that incumbent is responsible for 
why this person's life is shit. 100%. And, right? they, and they are. That's the thing. That's right. the, it's, it's not. We it, got the truth on our side. It, yeah, this is this is not something where you're trying to be guilt by association. Right. They voted for this bullshit. Mm-hmm. Right. This is who they are. And so the evidence of Democrats, some smarter Democrats knowing what's coming is if you've noticed all of these House Democrats that are sort of in tight races. I mean, they're indistinguishable from Republicans at this point. They yeah, working like, across the aisle. And this is key. I think this is. <laughs> but so they all key. voted for the mess. They right. all voted for it. It's not just the House Democrats. It's Senate candidates, too. Tim Ryan in Ohio has been running ads nonstop, pretending like he's a moderate. He's really pissed off the Democrats doing it, too. I love it. The (laughs) the guy is an absolute lefty. But but to your point about Democrats at advantage, people see these ads and they don't they don't know. It's all they see. So now that things are being evened up, you'll see a lot more ads from J.D. Vance, a lot more ads from Republicans explaining exactly who Tim Ryan is, a crazy lefty. And that's why we're going to win in Ohio. So, I, it's so true. I mean, this guy, Jared Golden in Maine. Yeah. He's broken, and this is according to uh, the Washington Times, he's broken with his party on votes on gun control, expanding <laughs> entitlement programs, and and, and and he throws out memos from the House Democrats campaign arm, uh, like regularly skipping caucus meetings, like he's, he's not going to be a part of their caucus. And yet he voted for all this shit. Like yeah. ultimately everything we're talking about passed. And I think that's the thing is this is what we are telling you. This is how you know it's true. The proof is in the pudding. When you have Dems in in, in, in swing states and vulnerable areas going to the right, it means that they see that what the left has done is right. wrong and they want to trick right. report, uh, voters into thinking, hey, you know, we're on the more conservative side because they know that's not, what voters want. They're not running on the great accomplishments nope. of Joe nope. Biden. They're not saying, oh yeah, I right. voted for the Green New Deal. No, of course not. No, no, of course they're not. S- speaking of vulnerable Democrats, yeah, there is one in New Hampshire. Yeah. And you had a wonderful interview with a guy who's running against her. Yeah, this is this is General Don Balduck. His his um, story is incredible, and we let him tell it. Let's get to it. I want to welcome to the program just in time, just in time for the big New Hampshire Senate primary next week. United States Army Brigadier General Don Balduck. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, we got five days in a wake up before the uh, election, and we're you know. Heading down the home stretch, there's a lot of noise out there, but we got a great strategy that's worked for the last two years, and we're just going to keep moving forward. Yeah, well, I mean, look, you're you're by all accounts leading in the polls at this point. Uh, like you said, you're five days out. Everything sort of happened. I think what we where we should start for those of, that don't you know you is just allow you to tell your story a little bit. I mean, you've got a, just a fascinating story. I mean, you were part of the, one of the, if not the first, one of the first special forces units that were in Afghanistan post 9-11. Um, tell us about it. Yeah. So, you know, it was interesting. Uh, we're getting ready to go over to one of the largest uh, training exercises in the Middle East. Uh, and it was a vision between the King of Jordan and uh, President Bush at the time. And, you know, the CENTCOM commander got the mission and he passed it down to the special ops commander. Uh, and then fifth group got the mission. And my battalion, battalion that I was in um, as a company commander, young major, brand new major, and then as the operations officer, we got the mission to uh, 
to put this exercise together, five different, um, five different uh, Middle Eastern countries in Jordan with uh, special forces, Rangers, infantry, Air Force, Navy, Marine Corps. I mean, it was just an unbelievable operation for a single battalion to be, uh, you know, the command and control element for. In and short so order too, right? I mean, all of this is like within 15 days of 9-11. Yeah, well, this was what we were planning to do. So 9-11 hits. I'm sitting in my office the day before we head to, to uh, Jordan, and the plane crashes into the World Trade Center, and I watch it on my TV, and I go, what is that? I went down to my boss's office, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Fox, and I said, hey, sir, turn on your TV. you got to check this out. And then no sooner did he get his TV on, and the other one slams into it. And then we're watching this, and I go, Hey, sir, this is a planned attack, right? And I mean, we're, you know, we're just sitting in there, you know, a major and his boss talking about it. And then, of course, followed, followed by that was the Pentagon. And then, of course, the crash of the aircraft, the, the heroes brought down before it reached its uh, destination in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And we're like, what is going on? So that's, that is Fifth Special Forces Group area of operation, right? And as luck would have it, that whole year before, we did a mission, my company did, with uh, three other special forces teams in Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kazakhstan, and we developed a whole bunch of rapport with those three former Soviet countries as part of an overall regional strategy. Um, and so the next thing we know, we're leveraging those countries for intermediate staging bases, and, you know, right. refueling places to get the first group of special forces, uh, you know, uh, and other three letter agencies uh, <laughs> into the um, into the area. And, you know, I mean, it was fast. It was like, you know, you arrive. Hey, your mission is going to be to provide advice, assistance uh, and support to Hamid Karzai in southern Afghanistan. And then, of course, you know, the 12 Strong movie focused on the guys in the north. And so when it was and all that was said, the, ho the horseback, guys on horseback, right? Yeah. Yeah. When it was all said and done, you had two teams in southern Afghanistan, which I was part of with Hamid Karzai and, and Shurzai, who would become the governor of Kandahar um, <clears throat> after uh, uh, Karzai became the interim prime minister. And then we had. Uh, two teams up in the north. My brother's team was up north as well. Uh, and then you had teams in the east and a team in the west. So really, by the time it was said and done, we had about 300 Americans on the ground in Afghanistan uh, with, uh, you know, surrounded by the enemy, surrounded That's by wild. the populace, can't speak the language, can't do anything. And I, I remember if I could tell this story, this is a pretty good story. We get the mission, Right. And we didn't, you know, uh, the military didn't get us uh, the radios, the embitter radios, the satellite radios that, that go FM, satellite, and, and, you know, let us talk on a wide range of things to planes, to each other. Right. Uh, and it, it, we called it a brick because it was about, you know, yay big, right? I mean, it's about 12 inches big. It was just huge. And it sat on your hip like this big thing. <laughs> Anyways. Like an 80s cell phone. Yeah, we did no training with it, right? And so we're getting on the aircraft to head to Jalal, to Jacobabad, Pakistan, to transfer to um, to Special Ops MH 
uh, 53s to do our infill into southern Afghanistan into Tarankow. And they said, hey, here are your radios. And so the commo guy, we're sitting on this pile of gear and he's handing out the radios and we're trying to figure out how to use them en route to Jacobabad. Well, as luck would have it, we get to Jacobabad, the weather's bad, we can't do the infill. So we had 24 hours to uh, do training with our radios. Uh, and so it was pretty fantastic. You know, we did all of that. We do our infill, we get shot at. One of the birds gets, uh, you know, gets hit. It's, it's limping in, but we're gonna continue the mission. We land, you know, and it was like, I called it a controlled crash, right? We just <laughs> land, we, you know, stumble out. There's nothing but dust. And I had been practicing this sentence because the mission was get on the ground. North of you is going to be a formation of big rocks. Okay. This is, this is the mission formation of big rocks. And there is going to be some Afghans waiting for you. And they will take you to Hamid Karzai. Oh, really? You're like, good guys or bad guys? (laughs) Who's who here? Who knows? Right. Who knows? (laughs) So we get on the ground, we get in our squad formation. I'm practicing this sentence. Please take me to Hamid Karzai in Pashtun. I had been trained in Egyptian Arabic uh, for my foreign language by the by, you know, special forces uh, for our Middle Eastern work. That didn't work so well in uh, Afghanistan. So I learned this sentence. Right. And we're moving forward and we see the formation of rocks. And we had an advantage because we had our night vision goggles and we saw the figures. And so we halted and the plan was for me to move forward, make contact, determine whether they were friendly or not. We were going to find that out pretty quick, I thought. So I walk up and I look at them and I got all these AK-47s pointed at my face and I'm looking through my uh, night vision goggles and I can only imagine what they were thinking, right? Helmet, goggles, this guy's from Mars. The I don't space know. Man. Yeah. Right. Right. yeah, and all I could get out of my mouth was, Hamid Karzai. <laughs> I couldn't remember the sentence or anything, right? And so it was good. We moved in. They put us on these, these jingle trucks. And, you know, half hour later, we were sitting in a mud hut doing what I called mud hut diplomacy from that point on with Hamid Karzai and our initial 50 Afghans uh, to fight the Taliban and Al-Qaeda from Tarankout down to Kandahar. And you're that was looking- our operational objective. You're also looking for high value targets at that point, too, right? I mean, you, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're keeping our ears up. Hey, has anyone seen Zawahiri? Has anybody seen Osama bin Laden? Do you know this guy? Do you know that guy? And we're also, you know, you also got to, you're, you're in there operating in and among the populace. And so none of us knew the language. None of us knew the environment. Uh, we couldn't really do everything moves so fast. We couldn't do area studies. We were reading the Russian books that were printed other side of the mountain and stuff like that. Every chance you get, you're opening up a book and reading a chapter on what the Russians thought and what the Russians did. And then you're trying to read books that uh, Afghan scholars wrote afterwards. And and, I mean, that was, that was, you know, our pre-mission, you know, kind of a study to operate in Afghanistan. And, and so, I, I kind of say, you know, for special forces, whether you're SEAL, whether you're special, you know, Green Beret, whether you're, you know, Marine Special Ops guy, there's this really good manual out there, and it's called FM Field Manual 1-Wing It. 
right? <laughs> because you don't know what you're going to have to do. And you got to be flexible and adaptable and think on your feet and use common sense and critical thinking and just get out there and move. You know, you just, you know, we call it, you know, movement to contact, right? And then yeah. you just have to, you know, you just have to react. And Well, well common sense and critical thinking uh, is not a prevalent commodity in the line of work you're getting yourself into here, General. Well, you're absolutely right. You know, I mean, I, I've seen it, you know, in the short four and a half years of retirement from the military, I have seen it in spades. Uh, common sense, critical thinking, not a valued skill set, right? Yeah. Um, and, and telling the truth, oh, that's even frowned upon even more. Uh, oh, and don't come in here with any idea you're going to take accountability for anything or that you feel responsible for something other than what the establishment or somebody tells you they want you to do. And if you don't want to play by that playbook, then, hey, you know, have a nice day. So let me let me get into environment. Yeah. Now, let me get into one of the substantive things, because, I mean, look, you're the one of the first guys on terra firma in Afghanistan post 9-11. Fast forward to we're now a year removed from the just catastrophe that the Biden administration levied upon all of our men and women in uniform, the people of Afghanistan who were helping us and everybody else with that with that withdrawal. Um, I got to imagine you have some pretty strong feelings about that. Oh, I definitely have strong feelings. I, you know, I mean, I supported, you know, President Trump's uh, withdrawal plans. I thought what he wanted to do in Afghanistan uh, and get us out of there uh, in a planned, methodical, common sense, um, you know, uh, withdrawal that didn't empower the Taliban or the Al Qaeda or ISIS uh, and leave it as a safe haven or or potential for it to be a safe haven was the way to go. I honestly, my assessment is he didn't get much help from his Secretary of Defense at the time. Uh, when he asked for that plan almost two years into his administration and he really didn't have one. Is this uh, Mattis you're talking about? Yeah, I'm talking about Mattis. Yeah, um, he just didn't do it. And, you know, uh, you know, the military industrial complex is a very lucrative job for former generals and admirals. Right. So why should we, you know, hmm, you know, we don't want to interrupt that. So, you know, let's just stay in these long wars. Right. As some generals have said, let's just continue to muddle through. Well, you know, I spoke up against that during the Obama administration as a brand new general, and I was told immediately this isn't going to work uh, well for your career, but it was the right thing to do. Um, but what Joe Biden did was absolutely unforgivable, and it will go down in history as the most, the biggest military failure in world history. Yeah. I mean, this will be studied at some point in time, and it is going to be ugly for all of them. And what's worse, a year later, no accountability, no, no responsibility, none. nothing. They picked the wrong time to do it. They picked the fighting season to do it. Um, so it, anyone it appeared who, to be only correlated to the 20th anniversary of 9-11, right? I mean, it. there was no other it was a PR event, right? Yeah, right. It was a public relations event and it went bad. When you violate principles, <laughs> when you violate and you give the enemy such a significant advantage, it's not going to go well. And that's what the Taliban is. It is the enemy. Mm -hmm. The Al-Qaeda is the enemy. ISIS is the enemy. And hey, let's just face it. They're not just restricted to 
you know, to Afghanistan. They're all over the Middle East now. They're all over Africa. They have been for a long time. You know, uh, Zawahiri, uh, this guy was a dangerous guy. And, you know, they had him at Club Med in freaking Kabul, right? Yeah, it's unbelievable, out right? Gated community, right? Yeah, I, mean, I know. It's like, Jesus, what, what are we doing here? And then, you know, oh, we got him. You know, let's pat ourselves on the back. Uh, gee whiz, you set the whole thing up. And we lost 13 American heroes yeah, exactly. and 22 wounded and 200 Afghans uh, killed men, women and children. We saw the plane trying to take off. You know, you know, we will have this will not be like Saigon. No, you're right. It's worse. Right. I mean, it was worse. Well, in terms uh, of the in terms of the vacuum they had created in the world, you're absolutely right. Unbelievable. We give up Bagram Air Force Base, not to mention all of the terrorists that are housed there and all the equipment that we had that we left behind to God knows who. But then obviously the message that it sends to Xi, the, the message that it says sends to Putin. We already know how, how Putin interpreted it, right? Because he turned around, went Boom. right into Ukraine. That's right, right into Ukraine. Uh North Korea said, Well, I guess I'm gonna I guess I'm going to increase my nuclear capability and my ability to launch missile missiles in an unprecedented way, more, you know, more than he's ever done in history. Oh, and then there's Iran. Well, look what I'm going to do. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put more money into um, proxy terrorist organizations to destabilize. And I'm going to do something that heretofore under any other international community would never have been done. I'm going to lob bombs into the UAE, a place that was considered off limits by everybody where people could go and have meetings, meet together, try and get something done. Well, the hell with that. And I'm going to put a bunch of pressure on Israel, one of our most critical partners in the region. And we're just going to smile and wave at all this stuff. And oh, by the way, I'm going to go into Western Afghanistan and I'm going to take charge of all the saffron, you know, all the uh, grape uh, orchards. I'm going to take take charge of all the um, pistachios, all this stuff. And it's no longer going to enrich uh, Afghans. It's going to now enrich uh, you know, the Iranian people. And oh, by the way, you know what else I'm going to do? Uh, all their power in Western uh, Afghanistan is now going to be provided by uh, Iran. And, you know, we're going to force them to pay us for everything, uh, you know, every every aspect of their lives. And then we're going to go to real strict sh uh, Sharia laws. And then we're going to turn the soccer. Oh, it's just a nightmare. It's a never ending nightmare. It's a freaking nightmare. It right. Is. It, it and, really and they, is. And, and, and nobody's been held accountable. The president, no, nobody's held them accountable. No one has held the secretary of state, defense, Millie, the joint chiefs, and the admirals and generals all the way down in the chain of command that allowed this to happen. They had a responsibility to raise their hand, throw their rank on the table and say, hey, listen, we're not disobeying orders, but this will result in unprecedented failure. It will endanger lives across the board. And we got to do it this way or we're not going to do it you're going to have to go find someone else to do it for you. And if that comes out like Singlob did, you know, to yeah. Carter, a lot of people don't know Major General Singlob, a, a icon, a, you know, a hero in the special operations community, went to Carter when Carter said, we're taking everybody out of South Korea. He was a two-star general. He went to him in his office and said, sir, if you do it, this is what's going to happen. And he said, I hear you. Take him out. He goes, okay. So what does he do? He goes and makes makes a uh, press announcement saying exactly what he wants, what he wants to do. Carter called him up and said, hey, what are you doing? You're fired. And he goes, well, I already resigned. So what did Carter do? He backed off. 
Yeah. Could you imagine if night in the 1970s, if we had left, you know, when no. Carter was president, if no. we had left uh, disaster. South Korea, what would have happened? Absolute disaster. No, I'm, disaster. It, you're right. You're right. People need to be held accountable. I hope it's one of the top priorities of a new Republican Congress. Guy. I know it's my priority. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I can imagine you've got a deeply personal reason for that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your Senate race here. You 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 ran uh, in the primary in 2020 yep. uh, and then came back at it here in 2022, hitting the ground running. How are things going? You know, things are things are really going well. You know, we we you know, the strategy was, you know, hey, we got to grassroots this. The only way to grassroots anything is you got to have time. Right. It's a lesson that I learned over and over and over again, uh, you know, working as a special ops guy for 33 and a half years. Well, 23 and a half of my 33 and a half. Anyways, you learn these lessons. You got to be with the people. You got to deliver a message. You got to understand what's hurting them. So you got to go there and listen and learn from them and then say, hey, this is what I've heard. This is what you're telling me. This is what I want to do. And oh, by the way, I'm an outsider. And I don't take any money from special interests. I don't take it from lobbyists. I'm not tied to anybody. I don't come from the political elite. We need to change. One of the things you said is career politicians are creating this for you, this problem for you, and you want to replace them, right? And so this is what Maggie Hassan is doing. And they, you know, they, they all know what she's doing. And <clears throat> so we got in there and we got in there and we went to every town and city. We're the only candidate that did that here in the state. We have town halls. We got our 50th one coming up here on Saturday, back in my hometown in Laconia. Uh, we got some national press. I invite everybody to come up. Yeah, well, right? you listen, you got, you, there's a mess of attention there. And, and you know, yeah. one of the unfortunate things that you have going on in New Hampshire is this very late primary, right? Which yeah. is a, very, a very late primary. Total incumbent protection racket, I might add. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> It is, it's unfathomable that you can have a September in a United States Senate race where there's like $100 million spent that you can be a candidate who just gets the nomination in the middle of September and basically have six weeks to put it together. It's wild. Yeah, boom. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're off running. And that's why we needed the time. We needed the time not only to deliver our message, but also be effective against Senator Hassan. And so two years ago, I was 30 points behind her. You know, we're now statistically tied. And some, some um, polls have me edging her out among independents, which is a good thing because I want to appeal to them. Well, you got to win independents. You have to yeah. win independents. No you way you got to win there. the independents. And a lot of people are like, oh, he's too conservative. He can't do this. No, that's not what Granite Staters are saying. What Granite Staters are saying is they want an outsider that's going to go down there and work for them in the priority areas that they have identified for the benefit of their children and grandchildren. And I know that I've been there and she hasn't done it because everything she's done has supported Biden's bad economic policies, bad spending policies, bad border policies, bad foreign policy. You know, I mean, she's been a 100% disaster along with him. Totally. And it created a tremendous amount of hardship up here. Yeah. No, no question about it. As it has all over America. These primaries, it just they've sort of become a little bit of a mess this year, but they've they've largely worked their way out. Not surprisingly, a ton of national interest. People are throwing money in there, uh, some attacking you, some for you. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you though, because this is this doesn't happen everywhere, but you got Chuck Schumer in there, <laughs> decides he wants to play in your primary, right? Mm -hmm. 
And and he's attacking now your primary opponent, uh, Morse. And what are your thoughts on that? Like, how does that as a candidate, how do you process the fact that you've got the Democrats running ads that could potentially help you? Right. Well, you know, the whole the conventional wisdom is, is that, you know, on their side is that, you know what, we can beat MAGA candidates because they're fascists and they're extremists and they're all this and they're all that. Well, the problem that they have here in New Hampshire is I've been everywhere and I've had town halls with Republicans, independents, Democrats, libertarians. And when they meet me, they're like, this guy's not a fascist. This guy isn't anything that they say they are that he is. And so, you know, it's the idea of getting out there and going to the source, to the people and inviting them into venues that they don't normally get invited into. And they're like, hey, I I can't even count anymore on my hands how many times I've been at a town meeting now, a town hall meeting that we've put on where I've had a Democrat come up to me and say, I have never voted Republican, but this time, I'm voting for you. Do you think oh, I, I, I love this? I love this because I, that's what you need to do, right? That's what you right. need to do to win. That's what you need to do. So, so I think the upshot is your view is that Schumer and Hass they just they made an incredibly dangerous error here. They made a huge error. They made a huge error. And would you rather would you rather them just stay out, or is it you're like whatever? It's fine. Well, they, they take all comers. My my approach has been stay out of our primary, please. Uh, I know you're going to come in during the general election. Both sides have at it. That's fine. Um, you know, I need help from, you know, the national level with money for ads, uh, for top down kind of stuff. I want them to help me with the top down. I can handle the bottom up because I've been doing it for two years and we've been doing it the right way. And I'm going to stay close, close to the, you know, to Granite Staters. I'm not going to abandon them. I'm going to keep my strategy and we're going to keep working up, but I need your help with, with money to counter ads or to put ads out. Yeah. And you got to really. sell, sell those coalitions back. Yeah. Look, I don't think there's anybody that's more critical of governor Sanudu than I am. And this ruthless variety program. And I know you've had your problems with him. Yeah. You, and me. you, you, you've had some, uh, let's shall we say sharp words when it comes you've had to some it. sharp words, right? You've had some sharp words. Uh, but again, you got to try to knit that thing back together in order to win a general election. You think you can do that? I think I can do it. Well, first of all, you know, the sharp words all came during the phase of this campaign where he was thinking about running. Mm-hmm. And for whatever his reasons were, he decided not to run. Well, that was last November. As soon as that happened, hey, I took the gloves off, yeah. right? I took the gloves off. Yeah. And I said, okay, now let's work this together. And I continued to do it until, you know, uh, by myself until, you know, seven months ago when the other candidates decided to, you know, decided to run, mm-hmm. which is fine. That's the New Hampshire way, you know, as well. And now it's like, hey, come on, let's work together. You know, what really, what really um, baffles me is when career politicians, when people who are in the business don't fundamentally understand how the business is done, right? (laughs) You know, when you're running against somebody, you're running against somebody, right? And then after it's done, you move out. Now, I seem to be the only one who's, you know, embraced that concept, right? Everybody else continues at it. And it's like noise, noise. You know, here's an analogy, if I could. I love this show, so I'm going to give this analogy, right? It's all noise out there. 
Schumer, McConnell, whatever else is going on, you know, the, you know, hit commercials, whatever it happens to be. Um, and that's fine. It's just like, you know how many firefights I've been in? I've been in a lot of firefights. Calling in air support, explosions going off all around me, uh, machine gun fire, RPGs coming at us, things blowing up all over the dang place. But I still have a mission to do. I have to shoot, move, and communicate, and I have to close with and destroy the enemy. And, and if you I'm got five days. To all that noise, yeah. I'm not going to make the right decisions. Right. 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 Now, so you got to focus. All that noise is going off. We got a plan. We got a strategy. Just let it go off. Boom, boom, boom. And just stay on track. I think that's the only path you can take. No that's question the only path, path I I've can got, take. And General, I got. I have three big questions that actually determine yeah. whether the minions are are going to be supportive of you. Yeah. All this great stuff they're going to love. But these are the three that matter. All right. The first one is, if you could plan your last meal on Earth, what would it be? Oh, my last meal on Earth would be a deep dish cheese pizza Chicago style. Oh, okay. The idea of that pizza, and I haven't had one in a long, long time. I just love that deep dish. I love the, the dough, the, the sauce, the cheese. It just makes me crazy. Right? <laughs> That's and, a good answer. And I can always return to that, right? Drives my wife crazy. What do you want for dinner? Uh, pizza? You know, <laughs> but I can't get that deep dish up here, right? And I'm you wash it down with it. a cold beer or how do you handle it? You know, I you know, it's you know, if it's my last meal, I am gonna wash it down with a cold beer. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, feel like with the pizza, you don't have any choice. Like that's don't, the pair. You don't really have choice, right? Made by the gods at that point. <laughs> now, you know, I mean, I mean, you kind of you kind of have to, right? I mean, it's my last meal, right? Yeah, no. Cold you beer in sideways. What what uh, you know? I mean, it's like a match made in heaven. <laughs> it is. It really is. All right, question question number 2. If you never had the career path that you had, right? You never get in, you're not a general, you're never in the military at all. And you have this big sort of blue space in the middle of your life that you can do absolutely anything with. What would it be? I would want to be a gold medal decathlon champion in the Olympics. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. That's you're water then, I take it, huh? I, that was my goal for the longest time. And you can go all the way back to my middle school principal, uh, Mr. Um, Haywood. And Don Baldick walks in as a seventh grader into his office and says, sir, I am training to be an Olympian. And I would like uh, permission to come into the gym every morning to be able to do my workouts, take a shower and do this thing. Is, will that be possible? And he thought about it for a bit. And he said, you know what, I think we can make that happen. And so seventh and eighth grade, while I went to middle school, I was in that gym every day. Then I made varsity sports in high school. So I, as a varsity letter, pers uh, letter person, you had the opportunity to have your own full-size locker in the gym, and you had 24-hour access. So it didn't become an issue there. I could come and go. And I'd help my dad on the farm early in the morning. Then I'd run the three miles from the farm to the high school. Then I'd do my exercise, take my shower, go into cafeteria, buy three chocolate glazed donuts and two milks, sit down, 
finish my homework, do my tests, and bam, I was ready for the day. But my my goal was to be on a Wheaties box, right? That was my thing. That's everybody's right? goal of a certain age. Isn't it? Absolutely. No I mean, question. come on, a Wheaties box, a Wheaties standing box. there as a truck, you know, with my arms up, yeah. you know, going boom. But uh, as you can see- A different yeah. path, a different path. Yeah. A different path. <laughs> All right. So these are our last question. You guys stick with me while I explain it a little bit. Our view is most successful people are motivated by either the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. And it's not that anybody enjoys losing. Nobody enjoys losing. It's what motivates you, right? And the, and, and the thrill of victory people are basically the sunny optimists that are, are charging up the hill. They always think they can reach the next goal and they're just sort of self-motivated to go do that. The, the agony of defeat people Every accomplishment they've ever had in life lasts like three seconds. Like they barely even enjoy it, right? It's the it's the the fear of failure, right? And and encompassed in that is any setback that they've ever had. They wear it like a backpack their entire life, which motivates them to work harder to try to ensure it never happens again, yeah. right? Where do you find general? Where do you find yourself on that? Well, I'm definitely in the former. And I think anyone would know that I'm a guy that moves to contact. Sometimes I get ahead of my skis, right? Sometimes I got to pull myself back. I get criticized all the time. Well, on the campaign trail, fellow Republicans, uh, you know, criticizing me for saying one thing and then, oh, we always walk stuff back. Well, not always, but I admit when I need to walk something back, I admit when I make a mistake. I think, I think the former allows you to acknowledge your mistakes, take accountability for your actions and keep moving forward. Uh, so I'm a, I'm, I'm, I am a guy that looks for the opportunities in life uh, to be successful, goal-oriented kind of person that puts those goals out there and works their best to achieve them and really isn't too concerned about failure. It's out there. It's a, uh, you know, it's an element. If it happens, so what? I'm just going to keep moving forward, right? I'm just going to jump right over it. Um, and, uh, it's like a mouse turd to me, right? You that's just a thrill. Over, that, that's right? a thrill of victory guy. If I've ever heard one, yeah, that's yeah. exactly well, that's right. Me. Yeah. General, I got to get you out of here, but before I do, uh, for our listeners who want to help you out, where can they go? You can go to www.donbaldick.com. That's our website. Uh, you can, you know, you can volunteer, you can contact me, you can donate, you can do whatever it is you want to do. Uh, we do need help. And uh, we appreciate everybody's help. We have over a thousand volunteers on the ground here in the state of New Hampshire, more than any other, any other, uh, you know, campaign. So we love our volunteers and every little bit helps when it comes to donations. So thank you. Absolutely. General Don Baldick, thank you so much for joining us today. What an honor it has been. Uh, it's, it's been an honor to be on Ruthless. I love the name. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for the opportunity. You bet. Take care. All right, brother. God bless you. So I've always, <laughs> I've always wanted to ask the question for a Republican who's getting Democratic campaign contributions. Yes, like, fascinating. I, like, I, I've always wanted to ask, because I've never had a relationship with one of these people. I've always wanted to ask them, like, how's that feel? Right. Like, what do you think about that? Like, do you feel like sort of bad about it? Like, do you, do you feel take like the help? Do right. You, right. Or do you just like sort of power right through it and say, we're going to win regardless? Yeah. You know, and no I thought he what. had a pretty serviceable answer on right. that. Right. I mean, what's happening right now in New Hampshire is that Republicans by and large feel like this Morse guy uh, who we had on what, three weeks ago or something like Ashbrook, yeah. yeah. you did the interview. Yeah. They feel like they, he gives them the best chance to win. 
Democrats similarly believe that, and so they're they're running ads against that Morris guy in a in a Republican primary, right? Like like very targeted to Republican primary voters, like all messaging that yeah. would resonate with Republican primary, and it's it's helping this guy, General Baldick. But if you listen to the way he answers the question, it sounds pretty good. Like his his whole thing is they're making a mistake, right? The conventional wisdom is misreading the electorate, and every time I talk to people. You know, I I think I'm the best candidate to win. Yeah. You know? Here at the Ruthless Variety Program, we interview the top candidates, and we let you decide. I mean, I think that we can win all across the map, and that includes New Hampshire. Right. Totally. Totally. All right. So one thing I wanted to hit. uh, Do we have the West Wing theme still? Because this deserves the West. The revolving door, we've talked forever about how Democrats have a constant personnel. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I just about spit out my beer last week. I was sitting on the beach and I got a text alert that John Podesta is now re-entering the Biden administration. (laughs) Trusted hand, ably advising presidents and heads of state. The old man comes off the bench to rescue them in the big issues of our time. Famous for misguiding the Hillary Clinton campaign. (laughs) Yeah. He'll manage $370 billion in clean energy grants. Yeah, folks might last remember him from coming out on election night and being like, hey, we'll have a lot to say in the morning. And then hey, my candidate's a coward and won't talk to her supporters, yeah. so you got my ass up here. Yeah. I mean, how much of like the Anita Dunn's and oh my the God. John Podesta's and the, I mean, like, where's, is Rom still around? He's probably yeah. still around, right? <laughs> Like, I'm sure these guys are all... It is stunning the lack of bench talent that Democrats have. I mean, it's... it's the Like, their party is so old. Like, they have no fresh new ideas. Like, you know, whenever there's a Republican primary, you've got, like, 20 able people involved. And whenever there's an election, Dems are like, oh, shit, who we have in the back? You know, who's the leftovers? We got leftovers. Let's warm up something for these people. Like, Podesta coming back... (laughs) The guy was part of the like 1992 Clinton team. <laughs> I know, We're dude. talking 30 years. They, they got in the DeLorean and they're like, "Who can we find?" <laughs> like at this point, Carville's like, "Fuck off! I'm not doing it." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for real, it is incredible how they have the same names every administration. It is when you talk about a permanent establishment. I know that means something to people when they think about this in a in a Republican primary context. But if you really think about what a permanent establishment is in terms of the governance of this country, this is it. Yeah, the Dems are, like I said, it's a carousel of swamp rats. It's the same clowns who've been in, in D.C. for their entire lives over and over again. It doesn't matter if it's uh, Hillary running or Obama running or Biden running. It's the same five or six idiots who, who, who fucked everything up before yeah. come right on back to get, to get in on the grift. Yes. They're all rich as hell. Because they've done the same shit, finding a way to get the government teat and just like milk it for everything they can. Well, they they dump out of it and sell their expertise. That's what they do. Right? I mean, it's just, it's totally incredible. One more uh, piece of news that we've got to get to. One piece of employment news. We've covered a lot about CNN and Chris Licht, yeah. the, new, mm-hmm. the new CEO over there, mm-hmm. who, who said when he came in, this is bullshit. We're not going to do this. We're going to do news again. We're going to get away from the opinion journalism of the last four years, and we're gonna, and we were all very skeptical of that, right? Mm-hmm. And then they started making some moves, 
right? And they started pushing some people out. They got rid of the potato stelter. And then the potato left, which mm-hmm. I think was a big deal. It is a big blow to our tournament, yeah. for sure. He yeah. was, totally. a, it was a two-time uh, finalist. Literally, Humpty Dumpty just fell off the wall. He just <laughs> fell off the wall and broke into a million potato pieces. Uh, but then, last week, John Harwood, probably the biggest offender. He's the biggest hack. Like, honestly, the guy, like, there's a level of hackishness. And this guy's so a lot of folks might remember John Harwood from emails came out when he was going to be a um, uh, what's the word of the guy who's a moderator for a yeah, Republican de- debate debate a Republican primary presidential debate. John Harwood is assigned to be the moderator, right? As, as quote a, a journalist, he's going to moderate. God, this sometimes debate. we play ourselves so badly. Yeah. Republicans have to get smarter. And and yeah. what does Harwood do? He emails. John Podesta yeah. at the Hillary campaign and says, what question should I ask them to help Hillary? Think about that. Yeah. Think about that. That's your news. And he held an actual job as a analyst at CNN for years during the entire Trump administration. He was at the New York Times before that. He was yep. the Wall Street Journal before that. This is like but a But that guy, scandal is not punished. It's rewarded. It's rewarded. He keeps on moving this up. This garbage guy, like it was the best birthday present seeing he got fired. He's a horrible person. Yes, Mark. He's a horrible person. He's a heart. liar. He's a crook. To do this to the American people, you're, you know, in, in, in theory, journalists used to be put in a position of trust. And for him to be like, how do I stack the deck for you since I'm going to be the moderator? Yeah. Like, you have zero, it's beyond zero integrity. You are willingly getting paid to dupe the American people and you feel good about yourself. Right. They think they're the good guys. Yeah. They think they're the good guys, which is the most like ridiculous thing about this whole thing is is they actually have convinced themselves, actually, I'm the good guy. We I'm are real, helping people we cheat, are real lie, news. and steal. We are real news, Mr. President. You should be in jail. But two things were really fun for me about the exit here. His last hit was defending Biden's red backdrop speech. Is <laughs> like he, he must have gotten the email. Like, clear out your desk before that. Yeah, hit. he's like, I'm going to go full in on yeah. this is a good speech. Right. He, he looked at his phone and said, your email's been disconnected. And he's like, all right, time to roll. <laughs> Let's just do it and be legends. <laughs> but then the, the, my second favorite part was the reaction from the left. Immediately, everybody on the left, you noticed online, yeah. they were react. They were so pissed. How could CNN, CNN, they were saying CNN's now worse than Fox. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love great. that. And like the replies and tweets for people who are like, wow, John Harwood fired for defending democracy. <laughs> democracy is when you help stack the deck for a candidate. <laughs> yeah. What an absolute clown. Uh, the last piece, and I'm doing this for McDaniel's benefit, because mm-hmm. uh, we cut out a lot of his animal content today, because we got a long show. But he's deeply involved in penis. Which is, oh, God. What, what's the, uh, for the folks, you know, not the long-term listeners, what's what's the acronym stand for again? It's, I haven't a clue. I haven't a clue. It's like the, the It's a scientific natural, journal. Ph- yeah. Physicians for No, it is it, not. It's not. I will look it up. Continue. Okay. Well, PNAS put out a new study, and this is a particularly important one that the Variety Program is, is taking interest in. Real quick. It, it, is, it is the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Okay. PNAS. And it's a it, it's a real thing. Like you, big penis is a is a something you have to pay attention yeah. to, no question about it. Yeah. So so they've done a, a new study that it merits our attention. Okay. On insular woodiness. 
Oh, come on. Mm. Mm-hmm. Come on. Yeah, it's insular. The evolution of woodiness in plant species that inhabit islands. A real mushroom stamp on science. <laughs> oh, my God. McDaniel, if you're listening, there are children who listen to this program. Get this filth out of the documents. <laughs> they can identify uh, more than a thousand woody uh, species. Oh, come on. That uh, They've got a woody problem, <laughs> and so penis is all over it. Of course. I just want you to know that when it comes to Woody's, there is no more foremost expert than PNAS. PNAS is standing at attention. Well, you got to trust the experts. <laughs> you got to trust the experts and trust the science. Let's play a game, fellas. Well, it's Thursday. We're all back here in studio, and that means one thing, King of the Hill. Let's do it. Okay, so um, you're going to have to remind me. Who do, you, who do you all have? Smug? I'm bringing Sherry Jacobus. The Challenger. The God, challenger. that is unbelievable. I, I forget. Forgot. Yeah, I forget about her. Uh, and you, well, you I've got Holmes? the defending champion, yeah. smoking uh, Joe Walsh. Wow. Okay, well, let's go ringside. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. It's time for King of the Hill. In the red corner, fighting out of her own Twitter account, Kami Cherry Jacobus. And now, in the blue corner, fighting out of the Tea Party Caucus, and current champion of the world and Joe family court Walsh. <laughs> I forgot about the family court <laughs> knock it's so good so oh good. it's so good oh all right well Holmes you have our defending champion you go first in round one okay well um I'm gonna go deeply into the evening at 841 Joe Walsh uh, self-identifies as a drunk man uh, he says <laughs> Tequila tweet, colon. <laughs> so you know it's good. Uh, I got to be honest. From the moment I publicly turned against Trump five years ago, I've endured daily threats, and I've been hounded daily by hate. So Republicans whining about Biden being hateful and divisive can go fuck themselves. <laughs> I got no fucking time for their complaints. <laughs> That's so weak. I'm so ready for this. I do I do like the self-importance of it all. <laughs> I like the self-importance, but I also like the idea that he is sort of the arbiter yeah. of of like thoughtfulness. Thoughtfulness and decency. And so then he can tell us all to go fuck yeah. ourselves and we have no fucking time for our complaints. <laughs> okay, so so I got Sherry Jacobus and I have next level okay. Sherry Jacobus. Everyone's like, oh she'll she'll say something crazy. This has more layers than lasagna, all right? This is this is really out there. So this is Sherry Jacobus a day ago. I've learned to think like them. GOP wins the House. Make Trump speaker. Two heartbeats from the presidency. Violent MAGA, quote, get rid of. The other two heartbeats, Trump is POTUS. Fires Garland. All investigations and indictments go away. This is not a, quote, tinfoil hat conspiracy. <laughs> So, like, the worms have gone, like, super Dude. deep. Where, like, she's now, the worms are capable of being like, no, we're not crazy. I just, like. And here's the thing. There's another icing to this. She retweeted it. I'm showing. She retweeted uh, herself. Jury. She retweeted herself. Misuse of internet. 
I just love the idea that Trump would be uh, installed as POTUS in this fever dream of hers <laughs> and, and then would somehow still have to get rid of Merrick yeah. Garland in order to stop the investigation. Still Merrick. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> Merrick's still there. This is not a quote tinfoil hat conspiracy. Like, just like <laughs> when you know you're crazy and have to tell people, I'm not crazy. <laughs> I mean, uh, that you can't compete with that. Smug wins round one. Pretty good. It's pretty good. All right. All right so, Smug, you got to go first here in round two. Okay, so. Are you going for the knockout, though, or are you? I'm going straight for it. Okay. So so the thing is that, like, she not only thinks that, like, she, know, she, she said before, I know these people, right? Yeah. She not only thinks that, like, you know, Trump is going to, like, kill people and, and MAGAs are going to take out heartbeats. So this is Sherry Jacobus a day ago uh, replying to a tweet. Uh, Frank Carpenter tweets, the judge should have recused herself because he appointed her. Sherry replies, Trump appointed her specifically because he knew he'd need her for something there in Florida, and that something just happened. So, like, Trump can also see the future. It's crazier right? than QAnon. <laughs> She's like, folks, of course Trump can see the future, and he appointed her in Florida because he knew he'd need her for this. That's incredible. That's incredible. So I'm going to take it in a different direction, a different genre. Okay. It's more of a self-awareness. Okay. Genre, which in my view is one of my favorite things about the former Republican, you know, former conservative party Republican right, right. turned Democrat. Right. Is is like this total lack of awareness about like any principles that they have ever espoused. Right. All right. So this is uh, September 5th or bright and early. Too often overlooked in the value of Donald Trump's rise is the way it's unmasked each of us and revealed each of us for who we truly are. <laughs> wow, no shit there, Joe. What did it reveal about you? The best part is he like kind of first person said, right. you know what I mean? It's like us. It's not like you. Right. It's revealed you. I mean, completely it's unbiased. Like us. I gotta say, that can't touch Nostradamus Trump. That's a fucking tape. <laughs> I don't know. It's a knockout. I don't know, man. I'm just saying, like, the fact that this dude cannot come to grips with the fact that he came into Congress as a Tea Party Republican, burn right. it all down, like, Democrats I mean, every, every one the of these devil. people, every one of these people are former Republicans, but to have a take like Trump appointed her specifically because he knew <laughs> he'd need her for something there in Florida. In this, Florida. This is the thing. But she's always been a little crazy even when she was a Republican. Like, Joe Walsh was a congressman who came in on the conservative revolution of 2010. Yeah. It's in ma- unmasked each of us. So it's basically all been a charade. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, he's almost like saying the quiet part loud there, on telling on himself a little. <laughs> it's very that's and that's why I think that's such a quality tweet. It is. It is a very it is a very quality tweet. I just don't think it compete with Nostradamus <laughs> Trump. I love it. That is the knockout. knockout. It's been so long, dude. It's been so long. In two rounds. It might have been a year since that's happened. Yeah. Yeah, it's been good. And to be honest with you, I I threw my best stuff at her. I had had a decent one about the rule of law. But, like, I was afraid immediately when you went into the second one. I was like, God damn it. Sherry's Sherry again. You know, it's like this. Sherry my Sherry. They are are who we thought they were. (laughs) Oh, man, that's good. 
All right. Well, listen, I think we've have we done all of our interviews. We've I done think, it. Jeez, what an episode, huh, fellas? God, it's great to see you all again. Yes. Wonderful to be back. Yeah, glad to have you, fellas. And I got to say, absolute banger of an episode, gentlemen. Great to be back in studio. Ready to rock and roll. The red wave is alive and ready to fucking take over, folks. So, until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.